All righty, that's out of the way. So it's time to get to the main event. And I don't think in the history of professional wrestling, folks, there have been two more intense, intimidating, great characters than Animal and Hawk of the Road Warriors, also known to many of us as the Legion of Doom, L-O-D. Uh, I'm really honored to have on me with, with me today one half of that legendary tag team, Joe Laurinaitis. And Joe, thank you so much for coming on Primetime. How are you, my friend? Good, Sean. Anytime, man. It was always great uh, back in the day doing business with you. Uh, a consummate professional. And it's always great to, uh, to do a fun show like this that you got going on today. Yeah, and we do. We do have fun. This is uh, all uh, positive. Uh, uh, we, I, I, I know you know you appreciate what uh, the business brought to you and uh, the times that I was uh, with um, the WWF, WWE. I look back as a, a tremendous time in my life, and it's just amazing to me. And I'm sure that you uh, will agree when you you talk about the people that uh, the loyal followers of professional wrestling as, as you have seen a lot longer than I have. They're just incredible, aren't they? Oh, man, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I still go around the world today. I do a lot of comic-cons in YouTube. Yeah. You know, the big one in New York there in Manhattan and uh, C2E2 in Chicago, and I do the ones in Arizona and San Diego. And, man, the fans are freaking incredible, man. I'll tell you, I tell you what. <clears throat> the best thing about a wrestling fan is a culmination of all sports yeah. And a culmination of non-sports fans that love professional wrestling as a as a release to their normal everyday life. You know what I mean? Because in our business, when we get going, I'm sure you know, as being a newscaster and being an announcer with WWF, WWE, you're you're a bigger and then life character to these people. You know, and to be able to see them and meet them and let them see that you're a normal human being yourself. Just, an, yeah. you know, I would tell people, hey, I'm a normal guy with a weird jar, and I just have to be exceptionally, exceptionally huge, <laughs> you, yes. you know? And in, in that fact, and you know, when I go to appearances, I let the people put on my, my shoulder pads. I take pictures with them. I let them be a member of the Yellow D for about 10 minutes, you know? And yeah. it's a good way for them to escape reality. I, I love it, man. The fans are phenomenal. The best fans in the world are wrestling fans. Well, I think uh, there's also another big element to it that uh took me a little while to understand because i kept thinking like why in the world do they care you know where i am these days or and, and i finally realized that uh that period of time we're talking the 80s and uh, and 90s was such a big part of so many people's childhoods and young adulthood that it you know it just sticks with you and that was such a great simple time in their lives they didn't and then it wasn't all the stress that they didn't want to work it or whatever and when they think back to that uh, you know, how wonderful a period of time that was. And I, you know, believe it was the best period of professional wrestling ever. Uh, then you begin to understand why they love hearing about it, reliving it, watching it again. And, uh, I have just been blown away, uh, by the response, uh, not only this podcast, but I've done a few of these other shows. Like I, I don't do as many as, uh, you know, a lot of the other guys get the opportunity to do, but when I go, I'm, I'm just, I'm totally blown away. And I have, you know, I've covered, I haven't just done news since I've left. I mean, I've covered, uh, you know, just about every sport. I started I started with Major League Baseball productions. You know, I covered the NFL uh, when I came back out to Arizona working for Fox Sports. I covered the NBA. Nothing compares to the level of loyalty and, and uh, you know, committed fans to professional wrestling and especially 
anything associated with the WWF, WWE. It's just amazing. It really is. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you a thousand percent, man. The, the fans in the 80s and 90s and, and the, what impact professional wrestling had on society will go on in infamy. I mean, it's going to go on forever. Because, listen, even now, when you look at when WWE does present-day pay-per-views, yeah. who do they bring back? They'll bring back either me, Memory League Doom, or Stone Cold, or yeah. Undertaker makes his once-a-year appearance, and, and Shawn Michaels, the guys from that era. And now you have Instagram and Facebook and you know WWE Network. All those people that were 14, 15, and 16 watching, now yeah. have kids that are that age, and they say, "Oh yeah, you think wrestling is good today? Watch these guys." And then when right. they go back and they watch all of us, it's freaking incredible. Yeah, and now when you're a... in there doing it, when you're doing it, uh, you know, every day, three hundred days a year, you don't think of what impact you're having. You're saying, "Oh, I got a job. I'm glad to go to this town. I got to do my job. I got to make the fans happy, and all this other stuff." But then when you sit back now that you've been out of it, yeah. you go, "Wow, what a whirlwind!" And did we ever change the sport of professional wrestling during that those times? You know. Yeah. Yeah. What a rush. <laughs> yeah. What a rush. You got You got yeah. it for the fans. You got to say it for me just one time. I think yeah. one of the most classic the wrestling fans need to notice. I've been I've worked with a lot of top announcers in my day in the wrestling world. You know, from Gene Okerlund to Gordon Soli and yourself. You are right up there. <clears throat> one of the most classic lines that I ever had that I keep in my memory banks. And I love it here. You got to say it for me one more time. That's another picture perfect power slam by Road Warrior. I don't know You got to say it for me. All right. That's another picture perfect body slam by the Road Warrior. Man, Animal does it again. <laughs> that was classic. Because, yeah. you know, that power slam was one of my moves. You know, you grab the yeah. guy and clip flip him over, you know. And uh, I used to, my, my kids, my son James, who, who ended up making it in the NFL, he used to watch that as a kid running over and over and over and over. It was a classic, man. There's, there's a few classic voices that really separate themselves in this business, John. And I'm not just buttering your toast right now, but you were one of those voices that had a classic voice. I, I was actually surprised. I thought you would be in the wrestling business forever as far as the announcing team, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I and I look back. I mean, I, I it was only five years. I was there from 1988 to 93. I mean, it was a, it was a very uh, you know classic time in in professional wrestling mm -hmm. to be there. But yeah, believe me, I have looked back many a times and man, what you know, I don't know. I I wish I wouldn't have taken that other turn. But you know, that, that's the way it goes. And it's and it's awesome that I've been able to you know get back involved and and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about your podcast, but. You know, when I started this out, when I was first approached about doing it, I was thinking, wow, oh, man, I don't know you know, how that's going to go because I've been out of it for so long. And I just <laughs> went into it. My whole approach to it was, hey, you know, I, I knew those people very well at that period of time. And it's like old friends, you know, that, you know, that are real friends is when you run into them again. It's just like you saw them yesterday. And that's yeah. what this has been like. And I think that's, you know, well, I've certainly enjoyed it. And a lot of the people that have, uh, you know, come on board uh, and, and uh, come along for the ride. I think that's why they enjoy it too, because that's really what it's like. Um, before we get to... Well, you to, know what, Sean? It's, yeah, like, go ahead. It's, like, it's, like a, it's like a mutual respect. You know what I mean? It's like seeing, it's like seeing a family member you haven't seen for five years. You know, yeah. I, I look, you, you yourself and, and Hawk and I were lucky this way. Um, I think back in those 80s and 90s era, 
Sean, what we did is we, we put professional wrestling in a new respectful genre. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. I, mean yeah. I mean, Hawk and I, when we were doing events, I mean, we, we were doing events back then with guys that you did interviews, like, you know, with, with Kirby Puckett's and the Mark McGuire's and Jose Canseco's, you yeah. know, George Foreman's and all that. And wrestling at that time wasn't really associated with those guys before that. And then now, you know, when you become, when the, when the business, the wrestling business became bigger than life, and that's all due to fan appreciation, because the fans were loving it at that time. It, 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 I think it, it just started a whole new, a whole new avenue of of where this thing was going to go, and with an unlimited potential, you know, and how big it could get. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was, uh, you know, that uh, mid '90s when it really started to just blow up. And I remember we used to do uh, garden shows in New York um, every month. We would go down there. Alfred and I and uh, superstar Billy Graham would do, you know, play by play. I'd do the stuff in the back, uh, the interviews. And I'm telling you, whoever was, who's who of when backstage every single show and these people, it just used to blow me away how starstruck they were. And you were saying like Bob Costas was there every week. And then, you know, a lot of these big Broadway actors and movie actors who lived there would come to the garden shows just to be backstage, just to hang out with you guys. I mean, there, oh, it man, really was it was rock star status. There's no question about it. Speaking of the garden. And I try to, and I get asked this interview a lot. What was one of your most memorable matches in your career? And I, and I believe it. I've been in domes all over the world, probably yeah. 30 different domes and, and everything. It is Madison Square Garden when Hawk and I, and you know if you remember, because you were still working there then, wrestled the Nasty Boys for the WWF Championship. And uh, I think it was a SummerSlam yeah. in Madison Square Garden. It was freaking crazy. And, you know, it, it was Hawk and I's first time coming in at WWF, and, and it, was, it was nuts. And, we, you know, we've already won championships, and even though our business is what it is, is entertainment business, we had goosebumps, and we were nervous. Because, yeah. listen, man, to us it was like, now you're on the stage of all stages in the garden, and you got to perform well. And you look at the audience, and there was Corey Iris and Lou Ferrigno, a New York guy. Yeah. Like you say, yeah. Bob Costas, and you, you know all these guys, Daryl Strawberry, and all these guys. You're going, yeah. what the heck, man? Yeah. And then when we won, we went freaking crazy. And, and the fans give you a 15-minute ovation, because yeah. that was like the only belt. Only championships that Hawk and I had not won of all in all the world. You know, it was the WWF championship, and we did. And even though it's a work, it was so freaking cool because the garden was the like the cream of the crop. You know what I mean? It, it was awesome, man. It was just yeah, fun to do. No, I, I really and uh, there are some great uh, you know venues, and but New York City, yeah, definitely. Uh, Boston Garden was the same way. Those those fans were just rabid, and they would go crazy. Oh, yeah. And it was, well, it was just mind blowing. Country in itself. <laughs> yeah, okay. It really is. Uh, hey, all right, before we get it, because I always, I want to, I'm going to take you back. I, there's a lot of what we were going to cover here, but I, I, I want to really start, and I hope, I, I think you'll remember this, but I, when we were all at the thousandth episode of Raw, and they brought yeah. me in, and this was one of the first times I'd really come back. Because I was the you know the first person that was ever seen on Raw. To me, it, back then, I just you know it was another assignment. Who knew that it would grow into you know what it's become? And now they're celebrating the 25th anniversary. 
But they brought us all back in for that uh, 1,000th episode. And I brought my son, Kyle. I, I, I don't know if you remember. But, you know, they had like the Legends locker room. And uh, they had a little extra room in there, so they let me in. And uh, I got to bring Kyle <laughs> with me. And you were in there, and Gene was in there, and Sarge, uh, Sarge was there, and Roddy was there. And I'm telling you, it was – I was like the greatest dad for the next five years. I, I Because <laughs> – you guys were so awesome to Kyle and you know Roddy adopted him that night basically and gave him the shirt off his back he he still has the Roddy t-shirt but like you said when you were talking about putting the spikes on you know Kyle we still have the pictures and uh he's now a freshman in college but at the time you know I think he was you know in middle school but that is a night that I will remember forever and it wasn't so much that I got to you know get back in front of a camera with the WWE it was that time that I got to spend in the locker room because it really did. It just brought it all back. And I'm telling you, that was when it really hit me of, of you know, what an incredible opportunity I had in my life. Uh, but uh, you really, I have never forgotten that. And you guys were just so awesome to him. It, well, he you he know, still talks Sean, about it. Sean, when you think about it, I mean, this is what this business is all about. Exactly yeah. what you just said right there. And, and we have to remember, because we are on TV, whether you like it or not, you put yourself in that spotlight and you are a role model, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're impressionable to young lives. And that's why, if you remember back, when the business went dark, Hawk and I disappeared because yeah. we said, hey, listen, man, we are a kid's gimmick. Yeah. Kids, most of our fans are young kids and young teenagers. We're not going to go out there and I don't like, you know, we don't want to be the Ron Payne match guys and any of that kind of stuff, you know, because you have young souls that look at that and say, oh, your guy's laughing at that. Well, I can laugh at it too. And next thing you know, the kids just affecting their parents and their teachers, you know, which, yeah. and we always try to tell kids, and when, I, when I go around doing motivational speaking today, I tell yeah. kids, listen, hey, listen, man, I'm a, uh, yes, I'm a, a star and I'm an actor, I'm an athlete, the whole thing, but your true people who your heroes should be, uh, your your mom and dad, your teacher, your fireman, your policeman. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it should be going in those orders, that order like that, and because those are people that are your mentors that will be by you thick and thin for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, I'm just a I'm just a part time hero to you, but you, your mom and dad, and your and your like I say, your police officer, your teachers, your fireman, those should be your people that are heroes. For, I mean, I tell my grandson that all the time. I said, well, that's Jacobs. He's, you know, seven years old. I said, hey, man, look at that policeman. Go shake his hand. He'll go up and get the policeman and he'll pick him a pound or give him a high five. You know, yeah. but then again, he loves wrestling too, but it's really impressionable. And when I see it now that I have grandkids that are being impressed by the present day guys, like great guys like John Cena and Ray Mysterio. And it's awesome, man, because it, it's, you know, the fans your bread and butter, and you have those little impressionable souls that need to be properly, you know, they need to see you in a proper light, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, parents, and my mom was a teacher. She raised, uh, uh, there's five of us, and she raised them by by herself. And But I remember when she was a, a you know, a, a teacher, and she would say, you want to find out about a kid, if you've got a kid that's misbehaving, follow him home. And that's where I learned early on that that's that's where it, where it's most important. If if you and that if we had more of that today, we'd have a lot fewer problems. If you have strong parents, and and whether or not we know that you know marriages don't always work out, but that doesn't mean you can't still be a great father or a great mother. 
And, you know, that's what it comes down to. And, and the, and the thing, uh, you know, you mentioned all these things that you did, you do, you, I mean, you were, uh, you couldn't go anywhere in the world still today. It'd be recognized. You could be this, you know, gigantic personality who, you know, doesn't have time for people, whatever. But what I saw, I'm telling you, when I saw last night is it just showed you were a, a dad because James, who was still playing for the Rams then, remember he came, he came into the locker room and he had a few of the guys from the team. I mean, you got to imagine my son taking all this in because he was a huge fan of, of the NFL and he loved he loved your son, um, he loved the Rams, and so anyway, these guys all come in, and I remember you go, "Hey, James, ma- get over here. Uh, make sure. Did you bring this up? To- sign some pictures for Kyle. I mean, it was just. I said, this, that, no, but I said right there, that's a guy who's been in that kid's life because I'll say he's a kid to you. I mean, it was your that you have been in his life." For you know, throughout every moment of it, you weren't this. Uh, and and besides the fact that you guys traveled like crazy, but you could just see that connection, and uh, that was just yeah, I mean, I, so great I to see. It was such a know, great example for Kyle too. Yeah, you know, I I drove myself. You know, now I look back on it, and even James now that he traveled around now, he's working with the Big Ten Network now. Yeah, uh, I, know. Was, I don't know how you did it. That you know, Jesus, gosh, man, because you because uh, I would do my trips if I was out in LA, I would take the red eye home, wow. go coach a couple of days on a Wednesday, go back on a Friday, then come back Saturday because I would schedule my football game before noon with the league and then go back to work that night somewhere around the country. And but I did it, you know, but I wanted to be involved in the kids' life man, and you know and help coach and you know, I was actually head coach of all those football teams and baseball and, you know, because I couldn't do hockey because I couldn't skate, but he could skate, you know, and, and all, all my kids skated. But, yeah, it's, listen, you know, the, the kids, it was good for Kyle to see that. You know, I wanted to see, you know, my kids in the locker room, he ain't James Hornetis, he's my son, James. You know yeah. what I mean? So, he wasn't you know, this and, big NFL superstar. He was your son. Like, hey, get over no, here. <laughs> you, you should have seen him when I went into the Hall of Fame in 2011. Yeah. He was in the back. Because there was two rings set up, because it was the you know the big pay per view that we, and he was running around hitting the ropes like a ten year old. Yeah, you know there was, was a funny story, and it was right around the age with James that your son Kyle was. Yeah. I remember we were in the St. Paul Civic Center, and uh, I would get to the matches like three hours early because I, I would let James bring his whole team. So this time he brought in his whole, uh, I think it was his football team. Yeah, into the St. Paul Civic Center. So they're in the ring and they're hitting the ropes, bouncing around. And, I'm sitting there early. I'm one of the few guys who gets there early. Another guy used to get there early used to be uh, Steve Austin, right? Stone Cold. Yeah. yeah. So Stone Cold's sitting back there, and he's got a big, you know, he's got his uh, solo cup, and he's got his dip in there and everything else. He goes, hey. He goes, hey, Joe. And he goes, your boy out there? You know, in that southern uh, Texas yeah, yeah, accent, right? right? Yeah. And, and, I, and I go, yeah. Which one is he? Goes, nah, he's the one trying to grow into his feet and his ears out there. He goes, oh, I see him. He goes, he goes, Hit that switch right there for me, would you? And I hit the switch, bro. And all of music plays, the glass breaking and everything. Yeah. And Steve goes, he goes, hold this, and he gives me a spit up, and he goes running down to the ring. <laughs> every, every everybody else powders out of the ring, right? They run out <laughs> except my son James. James stays in the middle. He goes, James, duck the clothesline, watch your stomach. We're gonna give you a stutter. Throws it in. James ducks it, ducks it. Steve gives him a stunner. James dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but then the funny thing was about three of the other guys ran in there too, and one of them happened to be Dominique Barber, who played for the Houston Texans 
Marion Barber's brother, yeah. and a kid named Blake Wheeler, who's a center for the Winnipeg Jets. They, wow. they they both run in there. And these were the kids who were on James's football team and the hockey team and stuff. Uh, but once they saw it was okay for James, they just turned into, you know, they were kids. Okay, let's have fun. Bam, you know. There's the big kid, Stone Cold, giving them a stunner. And it was just awesome. And it, it's like you say, man, it's one of those unforgettable moments that, you know, you got to impressionable mind, bro, impressionable mind. You got to remember that, you know. Well, and you you raised them right because uh, I mean all the awards, you know, the Bronco Nagurski and all. I mean, he was just had an incredible career, a great, but he was so down to earth, and and uh, you know that really it starts at home because uh, it doesn't matter how talented you are if you can't uh, you can't handle yourself and and keep your feet on the ground, you're going to get in trouble. Well, bro, it's that old uh, it's that old ladder of success, right? Remember yeah. how hard it is to climb up that ladder. Those people you face on the way up, you're going to face on the way down. So, you know, you got to remember that, and you got to be nice to people and respect them on the way up, man, because they'll, they'll remember that on the way down. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you never know who you run into who you're going to need in life. And, uh, you know, that's what I always told James that. And he kept grounded because I kept my kid grounded, too. You know, when I was at the height of my career and we would be out to dinner, I wasn't being disrespectful to my fans, but when I was with my family, and on the road for 300, 320 days a year, I would say, excuse me, I'm with my family right now. Give me 15 minutes. Let me finish my dinner. Then I'll sign your autograph. And my kids saw that, that I put them first. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't all yeah. about road warrior animal or legion doom animal. Or, or, you know, it was about, hey, it's about the Laurinaitis family. Then I will sign afterwards. Because at the end of the day, man, there's nothing more important in this world than family. Yeah, and uh, you have quite a family. Uh, uh, other, you know, p- people outside of your immediate family that are, you know, connected to this business. Uh, but uh, I've always thought that you really learn a lot about people and where they, uh, you know, who they become when you look at where they started. And uh, it was a long road uh, to getting to the Road Warriors, and I know it all began in Minnesota. Um, tell me how, uh, you know, initially, how did you grow up? You know, uh, I actually was a uh, was a kid. You know, with the first Rocky movie. Oh yeah, I, I, in Philly. Yeah, well, that's where I, that's where I grew up, man. Right underneath uh, the L Railway Station in Philly, and lived in a row home right there. My my grandmother used to have a house on Daring Street, right by Hunting Park, and that's where I grew up. And and uh, my parents. So was it Minnesota? Today. When did when did you when did that? Part of your life. Well, I uh, I ended up moving to Minnesota my sophomore year in high school. My dad was a Honeywell executive and uh, was the vice president of operations for Honeywell. Right. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it was uh, one of those things. And, uh, All right. So tell me about know, Philly. Tell me about Philly first, though. What, what was that uh, like growing up there? Well, bro, Philly was an experience. My, my dad did the right thing by getting us out there because I was going to be heading the wrong way. Really? <laughs> I mean, you can imagine with the last name like Laurinaitis, you know, that, yeah. you know, 12, 13 years old, walking home from school, I would get in fights every day protecting that name. Like, you Laurinaitis, Laurinaitis, Laurinaitis. And my dad saw that. And, you know, we used to build forts down by Pennypack Creek. And I think the one day when I brought home a big garbage bag full of Playboys and I fell down by the creek, my, my, my mom says, no more playing by the creek. Yeah. You know, we were, we, were, we were a strict Catholic family, you know. My yeah. my grandmother was going to be a nun down there. But, you know, well, well, we were of Lithuanian descent, man. And back then, 
neighborhoods were all the same descent, and everybody right. in my neighborhood was Lithuanian or Polish. Yeah, they stuck together. Yeah, and right, 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 right around the block was a whole Jewish neighborhood, and then around the block from that was an Italian neighborhood, and then, then you had your Irish and everybody. It was just crazy the way it was, you know. So then, uh, then my mom and dad, you know, or my dad for Honey, worked for Honeywell, and he said, okay, man, we're, well, we're going to Minnesota. And then uh, we ended up in Minnesota, and that's where, you know, I pretty much – you know, started working out. It's like junior college ball there. I was a junior college uh, All-American linebacker and guard. And was going to go full ride to a few schools. So he came after me. I even got time by Dallas and Green Bay and the pros after my sophomore year in college. But, uh, you know, I ended up getting my ex in trouble. And, you know, that's where my son Joe got born. <laughs> you know, yeah. and back then, you had to go to work, bro. Well, today you can go to school and have grants and everything else to cover. Back then you couldn't do that. So I went to work and was actually training, working out of the gym. I was bouncing four jobs, four bouncing wow. jobs, you know, working security, you know. And then, uh, you know, and when Hawk and I were bouncing to this bar called Grandma V's, it was actually it was Hawk and I and Barry Darson, Rick Rude, and a guy named Scott Norton. Yeah, that's incredible, the fact that you guys just ended up <laughs> working at it. I mean, that is unbelievable. What are the chances? Bro. And think of it, I was yeah. two years younger than everybody. I was yeah. the youngest one. I was like the punk kid. Of the, so the, how, how old were you? I mean, were you even legal oh. to be there? <laughs> no, I was 20 years old. I wasn't even legal to bounce, but nobody knew the difference because I was yeah. like 270 pounds. Right? So, and I was the strongest guy of, 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 of the bunch. You know, well, you know, Norton was the strongest of all of us, but, you know, Barry Darcel was a power lifter. But, like, you know, we all had our different things where we were stronger than each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. But now it, you had a family uh, though that got into. Before we get into that, uh, I mean, you had a family that uh, you know was very much connected to wrestling. Was it a big part of your life growing up, and uh, you know, with your brothers and everything else, or did that come you know, later? It, it really wasn't, man. It came later when when yeah. my brothers saw the success. And, and listen, my family was always athletes. I mean, my dad got uh, he played. He was a, he was an All American at LaSalle College and got. Uh, invites to the Phillies and Pirates and Reds to try out. He was a pitcher. Uh, yeah. Back then, you could yeah. Back then you could pitch seven days a week, though, so he pitched in outside leagues and men's leagues and college leagues and, and semi-pros, so he right. kind of threw out his arm by the time he was going to graduate from LaSalle, right? Yeah. So he kind of just gave it up and, be, and became, uh, you know, the profession he did with Honeywell. So, but we, we all grew up in an athletic household, so and my brothers, when they saw what was happening to me, like I was working at the Carolinas at the time, they both asked me, hey, you know, do you, we would like to get into pro wrestling. I said, well, I'm going to open this door for you. And I opened the door and they went through Nelson Royals camp in North Carolina. Right? I was working for Jim Crockett and, uh, in the NWA. So and that happened that I said, well, here it is. And once I got through camp, uh, I got my brother Mark and John. We did a, you know, the Japanese are really big in the family and we did a family tag team, Hawk and I and John and Mark over in Japan. I said, I will open this door in Japan for you in the wrestling, and which does not happen in our business, as you know. If you don't know anybody, you're not getting anywhere. You know, right. and I opened that door and I said, It's time for you guys to walk through and you make what you can of it, you know, and and it worked out good for them. You know, Mark was a, a tag team champion, wrestled in uh I think for ten thirteen years in uh Germany and of course, Johnny still works for yeah. WWE. He's doing Johnny phenomenal, Ace. you know. So yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's it, it, it was kind of incredible how everybody followed the same path. Man. Yeah. I never would have thought everybody would have, but that's just the way it worked out. 
Well, and, and it was very clear that when people saw you in the ring, I mean, you were an exceptional athlete, but early on, I mean, did you, was, were you thinking of a path maybe to football or, or doing something like that or, or what, what, what was it that, yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I was actually, I was actually, Sean, I was actually trying out. Um, I was actually training. I had a friend of mine, Art Meadowcroft and uh, uh-huh. George, Zag- Art Meadowcroft played with the bears and Vikings and George Zatek played uh, for the New York jets. Uh, uh, he was a Minnesota Gopher graduate too, and Marion Barber the second who played for the Jets. You know, his son Marion Barber the third played for the Cowboys. Um, was a good friend of mine, and we coached semi-pro ball together. So mm-hmm. I was actually training for a walk-on trial with the USFL, the United States Football League. Wow. Uh-huh. And I was go- I was going through wrestling camp at the same time, and it just so happened that the offer from Ole Anderson for George Champ's wrestling came before. About two months before I was going to go on try out for the walk on tryout, you know, uh-huh. um, yeah, and it was just it was crazy. Listen, I'm not a I'm not a three time first team All American like James was or not like I mean James went to the the you know the God Almighty schools, one of those the Ohio State, you know, and you know which is one of the linebacker you, you're right. Yes. So, but uh, you know the the Ohio was, State uh, University, that's, the Ohio State, yeah, man. <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. Well, I got so much heat with the family when I took James on a trip there to Ohio State. Mm. Uh, um, I knew right away when I walked on that field on a shoe with him. I said it was all over. He's going to Ohio State. I knew it. But it's but it's it's a, it's a different yeah. It's a different path though. I mean, you probably saw early on uh, the talent he had. But perhaps if that if you would have had somebody like you around and kind of knew to, to guide him along, I mean, you obviously had him involved in team sports before then and took him from one level to the next. Uh, who knows? You might. You. You. I think you would have made a hell of a linebacker in the NFL. Oh, uh, bro, I, I definitely would have been violent because yeah. I was definitely bad. <laughs> that down. You know, <laughs> you know, all all my kids. You know, my my son uh, Joe, which I'm extremely proud of, my oldest boy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he did three. He did three tours in Iraq, defending our country. Uh-huh. Uh, he was over there when they caught Saddam Hussein. Uh, he's now going back in the National Guard to be a recruiter. I'm so proud of him for the accomplishments he made in life. He's got three great kids. And he's a great dad, good family man, you know. And James, of course, the record speaks for itself. He's the all-time Ram tackle leader, and I said that'll go down in history. And I said, James, just think of it: Merlin Olson and Jack Youngblood and Deacon Jones, guys that I watched when I was a kid. You know, you broke a 35-year-old record. I said, do you understand yeah. what you just did? Yeah. That's incredible. That's pretty that short period of time, years. too. You think about when he, how he did that, and you know, well, yeah, seven was, years he broke. It yeah. took them 16 to set it. He yeah. did it for seven years. Yeah, you know, and which, which was crazy. And then yeah. my daughter Jessica, who actually skated with the uh, U.S. Women's Olympic hockey team for her summer. You know, she was a good hockey player, and then she decided she wanted to be a mom, and she just kind of gave up that dream. So all my kids were pretty decent athletes. But you're right; it starts at home. I I sat and I trained each one of my kids, taught them how to train properly, yeah. because yeah. Uh, I had a I had a bunch of books that I had that I had at the time too. And but you can't learn how to train without with a book, but you got to do it by experience. It was, it was, it was no different than when I coached him, right? When I was teaching James and his team, when he was younger at football, who was the only dad getting down in the four point stand, hitting the blocking sled, you should mount a block with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the other dads that were coaching other teams was, Hey, Mrs. you know, Joe, can you come over here and teach these kids that hit the sled properly? And yeah. I was a kind of a do not a do as I say, and as I do type of guy, I was, I was like, I'm going to lead by example. Yeah. And I would show them there was no shortcut to success. You have to work hard. Yeah. I said, and, and, you know, that's why at the time when I was bouncing four jobs, working out, 
going to wrestling camp and then trying to train for football too. Uh, I wanted to make something of myself, anything ex- except nothing. Listen, no offense to the nine to fivers behind a desk, but that just wasn't me. Yeah, me either. You know, <laughs> and, and, no, yeah, I know. So yeah. I had to do something different in life. Yeah. And I said, there's got to be a sport out there I can do. And, bro, if you can imagine the phone call I did to my dad at the time, after all the hardships that I went through, being an inner city kid and everything else, and not having much of life, and I told him, hey, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. My dad goes, oh, my God, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Nobs told the same story. You know, he grew up in, in Allentown and he said, he, you know, after him and Sags are getting in all this trouble and he, you know, and, uh, Matt Millen, I was a friend of theirs and he told him, dude, you got to get yeah. your act together. Otherwise you're going to end up in jail. So he's, you know, you, you like that wrestling thing. Why don't you try that? And he said, he went to his father and, you know, he's sitting at the table with him and he tells him he wants to be a professional wrestler. He said, he slammed this hand down that table. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I could imagine. I, I know. But, I bro, you listen, yeah. you know, when I was in Philly as a kid, I remember 11 years old in the, in the hood there, right? Cause the lived in yeah. the hood yeah. that when I walked home one day, my, you know, how the row homes are, the doors are right next to each other Yeah, uh-huh. in a row home, right? Yeah. I, I walk at home and I see all these cop cars. One of my best friends, Tucker had stabbed his mom 13 times. Oh jeez. So yeah, this is the kind of stuff. Is that, that the I last was, time he came over? Well, yeah, bro. He wasn't coming to Christmas party. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but no, but but when my dad saw that, he said, "That's it. Yeah, I'm getting you out of here." And yeah. and he got us all out of there. Thank God, you know. And, and which was the best thing that could have ever happened. But yeah, man, he, my dad, when I told him to get into wrestling, you know, oh my God, of course, you know, when I first started, it didn't work out the best. When all the answers making brought me down there, I was down there for a week and then he sent me to the Carolinas for three months and he said, I'll bring you back in two weeks and ended up being three months. And seriously, Sean, I lived on a bag of pretzel sticks and a half a gallon of milk for a week because oh. I didn't have any money for food. I was getting paid $150 wrestling nine times in the week for 150 bucks. Yeah. Uh, I, I was it's amazing to me. Like, well, yeah. And until it really, you know, people have no idea. It's so different today. But, you know, all, you know, how many people I've talked to the guys and they recounting those days were, you know, there's living in a play, a, 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 you know, a dump apartment with four other guys and, you know, maybe getting 50 bucks and enough for gas money to get to the next town. Uh, you had to want it. It, uh, and, and, and wrestling what you know, six, seven days a week, week after week. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, sometimes nine times, nine times a week for Crockett. Yeah. And then finally, after three months of Crockett, and I lost, and I literally lost twenty five pounds of weight. <laughs> I went from two seventy and two fifty five. Bro, I was more pissed I lost the muscle than I was anything else. Because <laughs> I spent all those years powerlifting, and I lost the muscle. I went to Crockett and said, "Listen, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore." So I originally quit, went uh-huh. back, and right. then, you know, then then you know, that's when Oli came back, and I. I I remember when Oli called me and my dad threatened him. I threatened Oli. I said, when I see you, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Because, you know, I didn't understand the business back then and this and that. And, you know, and it was back when Jim Hurd was trying to buy out Georgia Championship Wrestling. And there was this big thing going on. Until finally, the next time we were going back, and then we were the Road Warriors together, Hawk and I. Yeah. And then, well, well, I'll tell you, the writing was on the wall then. It was a totally different business. that we, You could see a different business starting at that time. You know what I mean? And how fast the reaction that Hawk and I were getting, 
I mean, we went seriously, Sean, from getting, I remember our first match in the Omni in Atlanta. Imagine our faces being two bouncers and two inner city kids to all of a sudden we walked to the ring and guys are handing us official KKK membership cards. Oh, man. Bro, at the, oh. at the time, I didn't even know what the KKK was really, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. But these are good old Southern Justice guys all dressed in leathers at ringside, you know, because Hawk and I, we had the, the bike gimmick and everything else. Yeah. And it was just crazy, you know? It, it, it was just a different experience. And then who would have thought we would end up being the fan favorite forever, you know, after yeah. wrestling Ivan and Nikita Koloff, Hawk and I became baby faces of the U.S., yeah, and well, I think I mean, you were also one of the first, uh, you know, superstars because we saw it later, you know, with with Stone Cold and and uh, even The Rock could, you know, b- balance that, you know, baby. There was kind of a blurred line between baby and heel, but you guys yeah. uh, never really had to change that that your persona. It was just that they, you know, uh, it, it was it was this tag team that's either it's right or wrong, and we're right, and uh, you know what I mean, and <laughs> and, yeah. and and people no people responded to that, but. Uh, and, and another thing too, and I want to talk a little bit because, uh, about the, you know, the power lifting, when did you start that? Because the, the, uh, just the brute, unbelievable strength that you guys had, I just blew what, what tag team, the vision of tag teams, uh, had been before just out of the water. So when, when did you start the power lifting and realizing that, uh, you, you had a gift, <laughs> to, to be well, able to lift. You remember, you, you remember that one show that they had that you were the announcer on? I forget the name of the show that Vince had. You know, kind of like the talk show segment type thing he was doing, right? You remember yeah. that one episode I did where we did with Bobby Heenan? With, there was a pregnant woman that had to move her car. She couldn't move her car. Oh, yeah, and right. Hawk says, Hawk says, Adam, I to move it. And I grabbed the bumper of that car, and I moved that thing over about 15 <laughs> feet. Yeah. Right? Just by hoisting it. And there was very few guys in the country at the time that could even do that. You know, it was just, it was that switch that we could put on and you could just do what you needed to do for what you, yeah. we were always the guys that can say we we're going to do something and we do it, we'd back it up, right? Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I, I started early in powerlifting, like 18, 19, well, I actually started in high school. I was one of three guys that lifted in high school, you know, my sophomore, junior, senior year. And then I really started getting serious after I graduated high school, after I won a bunch of high school weightlifting tournaments. I got in the heavy power lift and that's where I met Barry Darso and all those other guys from yeah. Robbinsdale guys, you know, and, and it was just like crazy. Those strong, those guys must've been taking additives back in ninth, eighth, ninth grade. Cause every, by the time I met those guys, they were monsters. And I was kind of the little guy until I was watching those guys train. And then I learned a whole new philosophy of training. And then next thing you know, a year later, I was the biggest guy there, you know? And and, the, and everybody's body type responds different to a ter- certain type of training, but mine just responded well to heavy lifting, you know? And I did that, and I, I think, Sean, I was probably a 19-year-old kid, and I was already almost benching 550, I think it was, 520. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. But man, at that time, at at that time, Joe was 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 ster- were steroids just pretty much acceptable? Were were all you guys doing it, or did you uh, not? I mean, I, I, you can't lift five hundred fifty well, pounds. I think it was acceptable. You, you know, the human body and you being involved in sports, it's inconceivable that a normal guy can get up to two hundred ninety pounds and be benching five hundred yeah. pounds with yeah. your arms. I mean, right. it's just not genetically 
real. Yeah. But yeah, we, we, we had it, but we, when Hawk and I did them back then, and all the guys that I knew that were worked from Minnesota, we went to a doctor and they were all legal from a doctor and we did yeah. blood work. And then we went and got checked every couple of months to make sure our accounts were good. And you didn't, you, and you could only give you so much to take and you couldn't take more than you needed. And it was because of the recovery process because professional wrestling was so brutal on your system. You had, you had to do something to recover. It's not like, and not that, listen, I respect every other sport. I respect football. I respect hockey. I respect baseball like crazy. But what, what we were doing, you could put all those sports together, and that yeah. was wrestling. Yeah. And we we were – I mean, if I could show you now, I've had 14 surgeries for the wrestling business, oh. uh, including my left eye being knocked out by – I mean, Warlord did a – Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get to that story. That's oh, just bro, unbelievable, yeah. that story. Yeah. But at the but, but back yeah, but, then, though, I mean, you, did you, did you uh, have any idea that, hey, you know, this might not be good for our bodies – or did you think oh, it's you know it's all healthy? We, uh, we look at the re, what the results we get from this. You know it's it's in a lot well, of ways it's, you know, like people smoke cigarettes back and you know you, they they have athletes that did commercials for cigarettes. They didn't know what they would do. They're you know Yogi Bear. They like, used to have they would smoke yeah. in the dugout. You know what I mean? Was it well, was it that feeling like people just didn't know and it hey it worked? No, well, you know back then. I remember, uh, I remember when I first went into the doctor and he kind of laughed at me. I was already 250. Yeah. I weighed 250 and I was already benching almost 500 pounds without even taking a steroid. Yeah. And then uh, I went in there and he, he had literally asked, he goes, how big do you want to get? <laughs> and I, so I said, it's not so much how big doc. I said, it's strong. I want to see how strong I'm like, I want to yeah. see what my potential is. Uh-huh. And he goes, well, okay. And so I went on a mild dose of a thing called Dianabol and Man, before you know it, in freaking eight weeks, ten weeks of that, I was, I boomed. I, I mean, I was, all my lifts went up. I remember doing curls with hundred pound dumbbells and stuff, you know. And and uh, you know, but was it, it like it, the it, Incredible it just, Hulk, where you just, I mean, would you like look at your arm and go, oh my god? I mean, look bro, at bro. You know, to be, <laughs> to be honest with you, that's exactly you just hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly what Hawk and I were. We were like an incredible hawk duo yeah. that everybody loves today to go watch. Yeah. But really, the Hulk's kind of a he flirts that line too. He flirts that good guy bad guy line. Yeah. But he at the end of the day, he ends up saving the day, you know. And that's kind of the reputation that Hawk and I had. I mean, I remember when we wrestled the Koloffs, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what changed our whole gimmick because. We went from getting in fights with everybody in the in the stands to fighting with everybody in the stands against the heels, against the Koloffs, yeah. against the Minute Express, and all. you know. So it kind of changed it, but that's the best way. We, we Hawk and I were kind of like a superhero type gimmick. Yeah, but it, it wasn't. You weren't the baby face, you know, that would be you know hold somebody's baby, and you know, I mean, you guys. It was just like, man, those guys are just. I want him to be my friend. He's the guy who's going to be. Yeah, yeah. We weren't, we weren't the whole, we weren't the kissing baby, uh, kissing yeah. grandma type of tag team. You know right. I mean? We, but, 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 you know, but back, but see, but see, back in the days though, now you're talking back at the gym that we were talking about and with the steroid thing and everything, you got to understand, we would all challenge each other. You had, and you had guys, you got to understand like Barry Darcel and Wayne Bloom. Barry Darcel and Wayne Bloom together set the Guinness World Record. Uh, of deadlift of 1,475 pounds together. Jeez. 
They were powerlifting Chevys. Wayne Bloom yeah. is skiing as they were. They were powerlifting the, Chevys. Is what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, like, bro. I'm telling you. Oh my God, Wayne Bloom. You, yeah. you saw Wayne Bloom, one of the Beverly Brothers, right? Yeah. Wayne yeah. Bloom, what was about 235 pound guy, looked like a basketball player, but could deadlift 840 pounds. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and so when you put all of us together and we set off each other's egos, and that testosterone gets going, and you are challenging each other, it was almost impossible not to get strong. And then later on, you had a guy that went to high school with Hawks, Scott Norton from the NWO, who came in, and I remember when Scott Norton asked me to train with him for Worlds, he was going for, against Cleve Dean in the World Arm Wrestling Tournament, the championships. I watched him. I watched Scott Norton never touch the weight in his life like a, a year and a half earlier and tried 405 for the first time ever and did it for four reps. Jeez. And then a year later, he's doing 600 for triples, you know, for three reps. And I'm going, holy crap, this guy is yeah. a freak, yeah. you know? And, but, but that, those are the kind of guys we hung around with. That whole circle was together like that. There was about eight of us, you know, from uh, Nikita Koloff to Mr. Perfect to John North, the Berserker, the, you know, uh, I hate to say it. My condolences go out to Z-Man, Tom Zink, who just passed away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, an, another Minnesota guy. And all the, and, you know, all these guys, we all worked out together. It was freaking crazy. We all just fed up each other's egos and, and, and boost, and that we all pushed each other, you know? Yeah, well, and and this is my this is my 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 theory on why why you guys uh, you you set a new standard. I mean, when people and this, and why you skyrocketed uh, you know to fame and and notice so fast is that when you guys you there was never a tag team like that before. It wasn't just that you looked big and tough, but you would be in the ring and. You could lift a, a a 200 and 300 pound body. Really, I don't I don't even know if you had to bend your legs, and you would lift you know like deadlift this guy over your head. It was it was the it what there was nothing there was nothing you could say it was a work. How do you how do you explain that? So I mean it was just it set a standard that no one had ever seen before, and it was that, never the that, same again. You destroyed people. Switch. It wasn't just it wasn't just there wasn't you know. Uh, slaps there wasn't you know uh, when when you guys put a tree trunk across the guy's chest i mean there was nothing to uh, try and say how did they do that <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's really it was you destroyed yeah. people and it was i, I make mean, like, i don't know if you you heard sound sometime in the ring because people's mouths were just open like they could not believe what they were witnessing it, it so yeah, i think that's I, my I, right there you guys changed it was a whole new uh, tag team world after that I think you know, a lot of guys used to laugh when, when Hawk and I used to tag each other into the ring. <laughs> it was like slapping a side of beef. We would yeah. swing our hands so hard. We would break all the blood vessels in our hand. We'd tag each other so hard. <laughs> and we, <laughs> you know, But the funny thing is, man, on interviews and everything else, half the stuff we would see on interviews was pretty much lines we would use in a bar if someone was messing around. We were bouncing. Like, Hawk would call a guy, yeah, you gerbil face twit, what? Yeah, well, that was you the know, other great you know, side. I want to, and, you know, and the, the the promos you guys cut were, were just unbelievable too. But uh, but when when you, I want to go back to when you when you really first started uh, professionally in the ring, and uh, you know it, what that was like initially. 
were there guys that just didn't want to get in the ring with you? I mean, what was what was the the, the early days like when you guys uh, got in there? And then I want to talk a little bit more. I mean, how the whole the gimmick just came together. But uh, what were the early days when you guys started together? Wow, yeah, I remember one time in the, in the Omni working for Georgia Championship Wrestling, and we were supposed to wrestle the Fantastics. I think it was Terry Taylor and Bobby Fulton. Uh, they refused to go in the ring with us. Yeah. <laughs> they, well, they, they thought, they thought, you know, they were good old Southern boy wrestlers. They've already been in wrestling for about five years. They thought, oh, these guys are going to kill me. They're going to hurt me. And when you're in the ring with other, other professionals, th- that's a, a testament, Sean, that I think is overlooked by a lot, a lot of people. Stone Cold was rough and rugged. Never yeah. hurt anybody. It's how good you could make it look without hurting anybody. And we never hurt anybody. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you never heard of anybody getting killed or hurt by or breaking bones with the road warriors. We never hurt guys like that. Were we stiff and snug because the business needed it back then? Yes, absolutely. But we would take it right back. You know what I mean? We let guys give it to us too. Say, say, lay it in or I'm not going to sell it. You know what I mean? So back, you had to do that. But I remember when the Fantastics refused to get in the ring with us. And guys would cringe on TV days, and they look at that TV list, and they would say, "Please, God, please, God, please, God, please, God, no, 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 <laughs> oh no, I got the Road Warriors releasing yeah. soon." And then they would have us on TV. They know, hey, it may be a short butt kicking, like for two minutes, but you're going to get a butt kicking. Yeah, and they, you know, they say it's supposed to be like butter. Uh, that wasn't the case in the ring with you guys. I mean, like you said, you never hurt anybody, and you knew what you you were professionals. But at the same time, when you are that size and you have that power, like you said, if somebody's going to come up and, you know, uh, whack you or do something like the, and he doesn't hit you like uh, where you and then you're selling it and people are like what that's that that made him move. How did that you know what I mean? So yeah, you had to yeah. you had to take it up another level. And, uh, you know, like the nasty boys talk about Brian was talking about it, too. He said, you know, we we came from, uh, you know, uh, rough and tumble. We weren't out there to hurt anybody, but you had to, you had to, uh, you know, make it real. You had to, you had to make it. Uh, so we, we, you know, when you're selling it, you're not. Oh <laughs> man. I remember that after boys, we Hawk and I and not the sags, we literally beat the crap out of each other. When yeah. you would look at our bodies after we had the, the Chicago street fight and mass work garden against those guys for the titles. Every, we had bruises and cuts and we, smash crates of water over and drinks <laughs> over our heads and bells and megaphones and <laughs> chairs and like hockey used to say everything but the kitchen sink you know maybe even the kitchen sink might get thrown in there i mean it was literally that i mean it was like all right here we go again and how we didn't have any like i had well i've had a few major injuries which we'll get into later on here but yeah man it's it's it definitely was brutal man but you know hey listen a, you're only as good as the guy you're in the ring with, and you got to have a trust in there to let guys do these things and the things you do to people too, as well. You know, yeah. it's a it's a very 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 uh, thin line across. So the the beginning, I mean, we were saying that you, it's really it just blows me away to think that you guys were working at uh, was it Grandma B's uh, uh, as bouncers. Uh, <laughs> I don't imagine you had a whole lot of trouble there. With, you guys oh, bro! Listen, we used to monitor that bar, and uh, and at the time you had uh, a bunch of bike gangs in Minnesota. You know, from the Angels, the 
and to Grim Reapers, everything there. And yeah. we couldn't let any colors in the bar. And you're, it's an inner city bar. And how are you yeah. going to stop guys with the colors? And they're factory workers right across the street. It's an insult. And we just right? said, listen, bro, the colors got to come off, man. The colors will be in your op- in our office. We'll hold them to the office for you guys. And that's it. And if they didn't want to take them off, we took them off. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, and, and there was always five of us there, man. So we always had backup. And, uh, a guy named Tony Benacasa, and that just goes to tell you about his last name. <laughs> there was no yeah. messing around there, uh-huh. you know, an Italian run bar. And, uh, you know, we, we weren't, we weren't bullies by any means, but everybody knew you ain't going to want to mess around. I mean, we made the star and tribute there in Minneapolis a bunch of times. You're not going to want to mess around in this bar. Zero tolerance. Are, zero tolerance. And they need yeah. business. Go out and have okay. a fun time. So was, uh, what, what, what did you consider like the first professional event that you guys did? Do you remember back when it was the uh, or who you were working for? Well, was it? I remember. I mean, if you if you could if you could imagine. Now yeah. we're going through wrestling camp, and we dabbled our feet a little bit in the wrestling, but not much. Yeah. Then we get the call from Oli to come down, and it was right after Matt Bourne had got arrested for, I think it was statutory rape in West Virginia, and he and Art Anderson were the champs. So they, which the belt, the NWA belts for Georgia's championship wrestling were vacant. And the business was at an all-time low, and always was out searching to find a team that they you got to make an impact right away somehow, yeah. right? Positive, negative, it don't matter. Any publicity is good publicity, and there he runs across Hawk and I, uh-huh. <laughs> two bouncers from you know Minneapolis. So he brings us down, and you can imagine my look on the face when I go into you know Turner Broadcasting Studios and CNN Studios and CNN Tower there. And I go in the locker room, and all of a sudden, the first guys I see are Roddy Piper, Tito Santana, Sergeant yeah. Slaughter, T- Wildfire Tommy Rich, Dusty Rhodes, Buzz Sawyer, Dick Murdoch. You know, the funks. I'm going, oh, did I just walk into the Twilight yeah. Zone here, the who's uh-huh. who of wrestling? These yeah. are the most pop- well, some of the most popular guys in the world. Yeah. You know, and I go, I'm in a locker room with these guys. And as soon as we walk in, oh, he says, here's your belt, here's your belt, don't lose it. Well, we said, what? What? Yeah. We've not even wrestled a match yet. We've not oh, even wrestled man. a match together. Yeah, man. Oh. So we got the belts, but that was the thing. And I remember only pulling everybody aside and saying, listen, these guys are street fighters. They don't know how to wrestle. They're not going to yeah. learn how to wrestle yet. So everybody's going to have to bite their lip, take it, because <laughs> we need to have these guys get over. And we're going... Uh-oh. Like, yeah. I thought this stuff was fake. What do you mean? <laughs> you know? And yeah. it, it was like, okay, Katie barred the door. You know, it, everything's legal now. So now we're out there and, and we just took advantage of our opportunity, you know? And did these guys uh, welcome you? Did they help you? Were there some that did and some that didn't? Well, I mean, we, we, listen, we had a few altercations. I remember, you know, when Johnny Walker, you know, Mr. Wrestling number two, his finish was the knee lift and I didn't even know it was his finish. And he gave me the knee lift one time and I stood right up and looked at him. <laughs> and so, yeah. So he kicked me in the gut and the next knee lift was in the mouth. And I said, ah, oh, I might, it must be a receipt. Okay. Yeah. Now I, I must've done something you know, wrong. Okay. You know, remember that. Three <laughs> yeah. Three stitches in my lip. Now I remember, <laughs> oh, okay. That's a receipt, you know? Yeah, yeah. And because, you know, we were too green. We were, you know, normally in a normal situa- situation, I would have grabbed him on the back of the head, beat him up. But, 
you know, that was just a receipt time. So I learned to respect that and take that for what it was. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? And so there was a, there was a couple of situations. Like I'm remembering, I think it was Cleveland, Ohio one time where oh, I remember uh, Stan Hansen and Harley race. And I think it was uh Rick Flair or somebody telling us, okay, get over here. You two idiots. You, mm-hmm. and we looked up. Yeah. You two muscle bound guys get over here. <laughs> we want you to punch this wall until you hit this wall until your knuckles don't bleed. <laughs> then you can throw punches in the ring. But until your knuckles don't bleed, don't throw punches because you're freaking killing us. Yeah. And here, yeah, I know, and in I, our eyes, we're yeah. not hitting guys hard. But <laughs> in their eyes, you know, because you don't know, you don't see it when you're a 600-pound bench presser and you throw a punch. Yeah. Yeah. You think you're being real light and easy because you don't feel you touch the guy. But that guy kicking the punch says, I just got hit in the face with a 200-pound punch. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they don't, it, we don't know that feeling, so you don't really understand it. But, you know, it, yeah, we, we had guys like that that took us under the, they were basically taking us under the wing and showing us there's a different way to do this. And, and they were very respectful. So I never forgot that, man. Guys like that. And, and Dusty Rhodes was probably better to Hawk and I than anybody in the business. Because when he was running the NWA and he was the booker for Jim Cracker, he took us under his wing. He said, oh, here come my Rottweilers. He called us his Rottweilers, his puppies, his babies. And you know Dusty, right? He had terminology for everybody. And he would let us hang around. He would let us hang in the, in the control room. And I was more into the control room than Hawk was because Hawk was actually using off on his own doing whatever. And I always wanted to see how the show worked. I wanted to see camera one, two, three, four, five, see where they were stationed how to edit stuff. I was in, I was into that stuff big, you know, I liked that stuff in the promotional and, yeah. and editing it. And then Dustin let me do that. And, and, you know, they, they helped us out a lot, man. Cause like guys like that, and we got to hang with the top guys too. We got, got to hang with the Ric Flair's. You yeah. Know? And it's amazing that that's what your start was. I mean, most guys, you start in these little independents that they, what TV, what, you know, they're just working these yeah. really bad house shows. I mean, what a place to start. And, it looks like you took full advantage. Did you? Did you? Did you and Mike meet at the bar, or you, did you meet earlier? I didn't know. No, ask no, you we, before we that, had known know. know each other. Jesse the body at high school, or uh-huh. oh yeah, well, you, Hawk and I have known each other for years and years. Our dad used to work at the same company, and they worked at rival companies. So but even I before you moved Hawk, to Minnesota, or when you moved to Minnesota, right? Uh, I knew him a little bit before Minnesota, just casually. Uh, you know, a company party, but then then we moved to Minnesota. We got to know better, and we all bounced together at Grand V's. He, he ran a bar, uh, I think it was called the Roaring Twenty or something, that he, or Moby Dix or somewhere. He and Scott Norton were two years older. Be they worked and whatever, they someone to fill in. They call me up, and we got we got you know we, we kindled our friendship, you know, and and stuff like that. But and that yeah, man, we we got to know each other and. Oh, it was just, it was, it was a wild time. And if yeah. you could have looked on our face when we had the opportunity, I remember, I remember, I'll never forget it. Hawk and I and Rick Rude were going, uh, we always ate at this place in Minnesota called the Jolly Troll. Was, of course, it was a smorgasbord, right? Yeah. <laughs> a buffet. So right. what else would be? Yeah, they probably wanted to lock the doors with us so you guys drive up. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> three, three, these three guys are in, nobody else can eat today, right? Yeah. So, okay. and the phone's ringing, and, and Rude, you know, looked like Tom Selleck at the time, right? Ravishing Rick Rude was a good-looking guy. He was ripped up. He looked good. He was built good. And let's just say at the time, there was no short of Rick Rude having female companionship. 
Okay. So, and, and, and you know, and, and the phone's ringing, and we, I know Hawk and I both say, say ah, Rude, it's just some girl calling you, man. Let the phone go. He goes, no, no, man, I better answer it. Uh, this is pre-wrestling camp. Actually, this is pre-getting hired to go down to Georgia. Yeah. The phone rings. He goes, hey, it's Ole Anderson. <laughs> he wants all three of us to be down in Atlanta by Friday. We said, what? I said, that's awesome, man. And, you know, who would have known? All, what we, we sit there and we used to talk about that, Rude, Hawk, and I, when they, everybody was still alive. What if we would have never taken that phone call? Yeah, told them not to answer. I mean, past could have been so different, man, because there are no do-overs in our business, bro. You could, yeah. you could sometimes get one opportunity to make your your imprint on this business, yeah. and that's it. And like, I'll never forget when uh, Oli sent me to Crockett, even though it was a negative situation for me, I lost 25 pounds and all that stuff. I did get to watch Don Carnoodle and Sergeant Slaughter wrestle. I did get to watch Slaughter wrestle Steamboat, Flair wrestle Steamboat, Flair wrestle Valentine. You know, I got to see some classics. I, at the time, Jack Briscoe was world champion. Jack Briscoe, let, I was a nobody. He let me slam him on TV. Uh, so you're soaking this all Steamboat, in. Oh, man, Ricky Steamboat uh. let me do an offensive move. And I'm thinking to myself, Wow, Ricky Steamboat and Jack Bristol's letting me do an offensive move in this business. I said, "This is awesome." When I'm seeing everybody else get killed, but they were they were good businessmen enough to see, hey, I think this kid's going to have talent in the future. And B, he's a big sob, so people are going to believe he can slam me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those guys were consummate professionals, man. I never forgot that. Even his brother Gerald Bristol, who was one of my yeah. best friends, man, Jerry's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. Great, one of the nicest guys you meet on this earth, you know. And uh, I, I never forgot that, and I always appreciated that. And every time I see him, I thank him every time for doing that, you know. Yeah. So you're doing you're doing singles matches. Uh, you, you I, I imagine you're doing some tag team matches. But when did, uh, and I think Paul Ellering had something to do with this, but um, how did the Road Warriors uh, happen? There's, I've heard so many different stories. Uh, I think I, I wanted to hear it from the source. <laughs> well, so the truth of the matter is, uh, when Hawk and I got asked to go down to Georgetown to wrestling the day, they gave us something else. Yeah. We sat down that night in the hotel with Bill Watts and Ole Anderson. And uh-huh. he says, listen, I got an idea for you guys. We're going to call you guys the Road Warriors. We said, okay, cool. We don't mind that. And that was just Hawk and I at the time. Right. And, uh, and they, and we just were, you know, you know, the first heel guy with the Mohawk and the earring in the first road warrior movie, the guy that was the bad guy. Yeah. 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 They wanted our face paint to be kind of like him. If you notice our older face paints, our face paint was more like him. Right. But at the time we were good friends with Wahoo McDaniels and chief Jay Strongbow and all these other guys who were the Indian guys. I said, man, we look too much like Indians, Hawk. <laughs> and you know, so yeah, no, seriously, I said we look too much alien. So we yeah. changed our face paint. We just started experimenting with it, you know, to where you know Hawk had the one face that the Ultimate Warrior down the line copied, and and then yeah. he had the Joker look, and then I always had the the horns with the spider, and we just kind of grew into our own paint jobs that fit our personalities. But man, when we first started doing it, it was just like. You know, we didn't really even know what we were doing, and that kind of what made it work because we had the sloppiest, ugliest-looking paint jobs you'd ever seen, but we didn't even know what we were doing, so it worked well. And then in interim with that, Ellering was just coming back from uh, 
he tore his patella tendon. This was the second time he did it. And only said, listen, man, I think I got an idea for you. Um, he wasn't going to let Hawk and I talk on there because he knew if we talked, we were such inner city kids that there was going to be F-bombs thrown all over the place. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and you know the rest of the that was just us. Yeah. F-bomb city. Because well, I really can't let these guys talk right now until they learn. So, and, and Ellering was very, very good on the mic. And he already yeah. had at the time, I think, uh, Don Jardine, the spoiler. Uh, I think Jake Roberts were in his stable of guys. And yeah. then they threw Paul Ellering with us, which was a natural fit because Paul's another Minnesota guy. Yeah, and we all knew Minnes. We all knew Paul Ellering because you know he had the big feud with, you know, the back is back against Jesse the Body Ventura, another uh-huh. Minnesota guy. Yeah. And we said, oh, well, that Minnesota guy, he's got to be a good guy. We, you know, we're going to have Paul's going to be your manager, and we got along. And it was just one of those things with Paul, even though none of us knew each other, it fit like a glove. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on, it was one for all, all for one, like the Three Musketeers, and we just went and ran with it, you know, and. And in the beginning, you know, Paul did 99% of the talk, and Hawk and I, after a while, could say one word, then two words, and then they knew we could talk. Because I think first in the first couple of months, only half the fans even knew we knew how to talk. You know, yeah. and then, you know, and I was always the hard sell guy. I would wrap up what happened the week before and what's going to happen now, what's going to happen after we're done with you. And Hawk would be off the wall with the, well, you know, it's something really stupid yeah. and crazy, which would make someone laugh in the they would laugh in a very serious way, like, holy crap, these guys are going to get killed. They'd laugh kind of like that type of deal. And then, you know, Ellering would wrap it up with a Wall Street Journal quote or something, and it just fit. You know, just worked. It was, it's hard to explain how it all blended together, but you know being in this business, it, it, when something's working, don't fix it. You know what I yeah. mean? And it was working for us, you know. Yeah, and I tell you the the, uh, the the classic lines of the stuff that people remember today. I mean, like you said, uh, with with Mike, you know the well, and you know that just that and, uh, you know what a rush, you know that. And I I used to think back then as an announcer, I said, God, he's got a great voiceover voice. I don't know oh, if he ever God. did anything, but really, just no, you would hear that. That's all you'd have to hear. Well, <laughs> you know, and like like. Oh man, yeah, bro, he would have been, he would have been a great voice for like Tales yeah. of Crypt or something, right? Or are, are he, he'd know, certainly but, be doing those animated movies. I mean, uh, you know. Oh uh, yeah, bro. If, if he was to be alive today, man. Yeah. As a matter of fact, before he passed, uh, we did have some, you know, children's health, health and fitness cartoons and other cartoons lined up for both of us to do voiceovers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And it, it would have really went good because Hawk had such a unique voice. Even today, I remember sitting backstage behind the curtain at the gorilla position, you know, and Vince was so inventive at the time before our music was going to come out. You remember yeah. that Hawk would do the, you know, the, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, and so he gave him the mic live and uh, Hawk did the, they dubbed it in right there live. Uh-huh. And from then on, and even still today, yeah. I get asked after every promo, Every interview, everything I do, Animal, let me hear, oh, what a rush. And I said, well, that was pretty much Hawk saying, I'll do the best imitation I can. You know, but it, yeah, it was, it's still, it's still one of the hottest things today going on. The, what a rush. And, you know, going back to, not to go back, it changed the story a little bit, Sean, but remember when we were talking about that Raw 1000 show? Yeah. If you remember, because we were in Philly, well, we were in Philly and Baltimore those two days, right? 
the the re- reaction that we that I got coming down when I wrestled Heath Slater was like I never left the WWE. Yeah. When they heard the uh, what a rush, yeah. it was like what they call in the wrestling business, and I'm proud to say it. It's called the Road Warrior Pop. Oh, that God. Road Warrior Pop, okay. that Road yeah. Warrior Pop came on where the roof came when glued. And I don't think there's any other entity ever in wrestling to this day than not not any of the matches that I've been involved in that they got that kind of eruption pop like that. Yeah. Oh, and I tell you, I I miss I miss those. Uh, and now I've gotten a chance to see a lot of them again from you know, the the network that uh, you know, which is really I, I'm sure you hear a lot more from people today because they they're able to go back and it's, there's there's this whole new generation that are are getting exposed to this, but. You know, those promos were just and, – and I've had several conversations with some of the best, <laughs> the, the, you know, and you guys were right up there. But it was – you know, it wasn't like somebody – you didn't sit there and write a script. You didn't have – you were that character. When you guys were in front of that camera, it just came out. And I'm telling you that uh, when you hear that, they, they, what, how many people can you say that – I think there were several from that era, but – Today, before, beyond? No, you know, one, all you have to hear is that, oh, you know, uh, that noise of, of the, you know, that guttural <laughs> beginning of that, you know, and you know immediately, you know, Legion yeah, of Doom. You know, I, I mean, it's. I, it's, I, I laugh, you know, I, I laugh, and I thank you for that, bro, but I laugh, you know, and I think when you look back, and guys would just sit there and, like, literally almost go into convulsions, knowing they have 30 interviews to do that day, yeah. you know? Yeah. Where oh, Hawk and I, we relished the opportunity. That I mean, <laughs> we the guys in the camera guys would call us the one cut kids. We would yep. do the interview, and it would be so creative. We would never have to do a second one. Very yeah. seldom, right? Because oh, and the lines right, that you guys would have. I'm telling you, I remember you know I'd go in there because I I'd, I'd be waiting to go do something, and I would just go in there to watch the interviews and. You know, like you said, you, uh, Hawk would come up with some line, you know, like you, you turtleneck geek or something, whatever. And you'd be, people were around, they would be like, have to turn their away because they were just going to lose it. And, and really, it was, yeah. and yeah, right, like I, it wasn't like you sat around there and go, okay, then I'm going to say this. And then you say this, the timing of it would have never worked the way those did, you know? Well, you know, I think sometimes, you know, a lot of guys back then and even now, they overthink things. Yeah. And you can't really overthink them. I think sometimes, you know, almost everything in life, whatever feels natural to you in the very beginning is what you usually should go with and don't second guess it, you know. And when, when Hawk would say something like that, you know, you gerbil face to him, you're a pencil neck geek or something like that, you know, I would jump right in and say, yeah, yeah, what he said. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so it would fit good. And, you know, then Ellery would be patting his Wall Street Journal and goes, my boys, they're bad, they're very bad. And when they're good, they're he very didn't bad. Even have, you know? yeah, he, he didn't even have to yeah. say anything. You guys carried it. <laughs> no. But it, but it was funny, man. And, 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 you know, if I could tell you countless times in the bar when I would listen to Hawk cut a promo on someone who was being just an idiot, you yeah. know, and then we all would jump in, too, with one-liners, you know, while we're doing But we weren't, you know, we weren't trying to, you know, to do promos back then. You know, then you have some guys, you know, and I and I used to laugh, you know. I, I remember back, man, I hate to point out any guys. I remember guys like Sting back at the day trying to oh. do a promo. Would just be Sid? sweating and nerves, or, or Sid, or, absolutely yeah, uh, be horrible, yeah. or something, you know, yeah. or whoever it was. And I'm saying, man, don't overthink it. Just go out there and blurt it out what you need to say, you know. 
You know what happened. You know what happened before. You know what happened to where you went. You got to listen. You got to remember your past. You got to remember the present and where you want to go. Yeah. And if you remember all those three things within the wrestling persona, you got it. You know. But also, you know, the the other thing too, though, about it, Joe is that it it was like anything else. You know, some people you got it or you don't. Uh, yeah. You know, you look at people like you know Jake. Uh, you know, and he says, well, the reason I talked that way, cause you know, he'd hurt his throat earlier in life or whatever, but, but you know, it didn't matter. It was like the, he had this slow burn and you couldn't sit there. You, no one really could replicate it. They couldn't, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like anything else. It's like somebody gets in front of a camera, they got it or they don't. I, at some point yeah, you can, you know what I mean? Absolutely right, man. Like you just saw another great one. Jake Roberts has got one of the greatest promos. Oh. He would look at you and you would go, oh, boy, this guy's sick. You know, you know, I mean, but but he was, but that was Jake 24-7, yeah. you know. And yeah. it's, it's like I told my son, my, my kids all the time, especially my son James, now that he's a football announcer for the Big Ten Network. It, charisma is something you're born with. You can't teach charisma. No. Either you have that charisma or you don't have that charisma to talk. And. James of all my kids is was born with that natural charisma. Yeah. Now all three of my kids were great athletes and all three of them could wrestle like crazy and do whatever in the ring. And they're all my son, Joe, especially he's extremely muscular, my oldest boy, but it's just my daughter, Jessica, would be a great female wrestler. It's just that James was the one that gravitated to the microphone end of it. And that's why he's so good. I remember he did his, he did a broadcast boot camp, And I think that was a president of Fox or somebody told him that, yeah, hey, it was the best audition I've seen in 25 years. Yeah, yeah well, he had a, he had a good he had a good example, a good role model to 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 look after. Yeah, yeah, no, but right, but the thing is, in, in, yeah, but the thing is, you know, when I I've been uh, doing this since I got out of school. I mean, and you know, I have people come up to me all the time, and you know, I've been at, I've been doing this for a long time, for 30 something years, but you know, I I've ne- I'm not like this, uh, you know. P- perfect polished get every word right i'm on live television every morning i you know read a teleprompter but i always tell them you know you can't worry about that stuff we talk in life we stumble we say uh you know we do but it's if they can identify with you if you can get that your personality to come through and forget all the rest of it it's like at some point you let go and anybody listening out there and i've I've, lately i've gotten a you know people asking me about, well, you don't want to get into broadcasting or whatever, but that's, you know, that to me is the, is the best advice you can give somebody. At some point, you've just got to be who you are and let go. Well, you know, you get, you got to relate to the people somehow. I mean, I, yeah. I remember that interview. I just did an interview before I got off the phone here with you I, uh, about an event I'm doing uh, December 26th in Belvedere, Illinois. And then I got one Madison the next day for powerhouse pro wrestling. Right. And I'm doing the interview with that guy and all of a sudden, I had something stuck in my throat, and my it was and, and the people, everybody at home chokes and has something stuck in their throat. Yes. So my reaction yeah. was, I went, oh, God damn, I swallowed a gnat, you know. <laughs> but, 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 yeah. but it's true if you think about yeah. it at home. Who hasn't swallowed a mosquito or a gnat? Everybody yeah. has, you right. know. And but you you've got to make the best out of the situation and realize. People are all a human, man. Things yeah, when you're to on everybody. Yeah, when you're on live television, <laughs> you know things can happen. I've got. I mean, I could. Geez, the list I could go down of me. You know how I look like. I've looked sure. like a complete idiot on television, but I've always played off of like, hey, you know, stuff happens, and you know, I'm just just Mooney. 
you know, and I just, and I, I, you know, people will identify with that. I mean, that doesn't mean everybody's going to like you, but they know that that guy's, he's real, you know, and, uh, and it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, man. So well, it, made, it made our interviews fun at the end of the day. We had a lot and, you know, we would, you know, and, and, you know, you got to remember at that time it was different than it is now. Guys aren't doing all those 15 hours worth of promos today in the back. I mean, we would be there and have a whole separate day just to do interviews. But what a learning, what a learning ground that was, though. The fact, you know, I oh, think back of oh, all was... the interviews I did and how grueling it could be, but it made me better. You know, I look at, I, I, you know, it's embarrassing. I look at some of the stuff that is, was initially, I know when I see it, I'm like, God, that's when I just got there. And I'm like screaming, I'm over enunciating, you know, I'm like, what the well, hell? Remember, how did they ever hire? Then, every, every cable yeah. station had to have their own interview. Yeah. So... so and when they're all starting out, you may have 50 different stations that you had to do promos for, and, you know, yeah. and different cities and different countries and, and everything, man. It was just, it was, it was nuts. Man. It was great. It was a good learning time, man. It was a good time in the rest of the business. Yeah. So, uh, getting back in, uh, I, I often get off the tracks and we will get off the tracks again here, but, I, but getting back to, because a lot of people do want to hear about what you did in the ring, uh, you know, what tag teams stand out? Who are some of the best matches, the guys that you like to go up against? And, and in the NWA, before you got to the WWF, uh, what, what, who were the uh, guys? I mean, I don't know if the Steiners were there when you were there. Those are guys that like to mix it up. I mean, who were some of the best tag teams? Well, we, the, we, we had, uh, you got to remember, okay, we had back in Georgia Championship Wrestling, we had, you know, Mr. Wrestling number one, Mr. Wrestling number two. Yeah. Terry and Dory Funk would come in. Um, uh, Stan Hansen and Dusty Rhodes were world champs. We got the rest of those guys too. Um, you know, then we were guys like the AWA. You know, where we had the High Flyers, Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel, Sergeant Slaughter, and um, Jerry Blackwell were a team. Uh, you know, we had Baron Von Raschke, and who he was teaming up with the Crusher. Can you imagine that? The Crusher, yeah. the Crusher and Bruiser. Hawk and I wrestled a crusher and bruiser. If you can imagine us and the look on our face in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, when we're in the ring and we go down to the ring to Black Sabbath Iron Man, and all of a sudden the beer barrel polka plays, and down comes Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, what the hell? Do we just go to a Polish diner? What the heck is this? And then, yeah, you know, but then you, you look know, at the crowd oh, and you got people dancing. They loved it, right? Oh yeah, no, listen. <laughs> hey, I was. I was ready for a halluki to come hit me in the head. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. So Polish dish of cabbage wrap rolled dough. But it was great, man. It was a great time. And, you know, and if you look back at the time, too, Sean, back in those days, bro, everybody was different. Everybody went through a different camp. Everybody had their true personalities come out. You didn't have writers telling you what to say or do everybody was a different personality you know and so we we learned guys like that and then when we got to the wwf now right. you got to imagine when i was training through camp i would go over a friend of mine's house jerry generi and i would look and we would he he was like one of the only few houses that had cable television or it actually wasn't even cable then it was satellite tv and you know we had big old Big gigantic Ooh, dish in your backyard. <laughs> oh, big, huge, like fifteen well, square feet round, yeah, like, fifteen round foot round. We got a choice here. Yeah, kids, yeah. we got a choice here. We get rid of the trampoline, or Dad gets the, where we get the dish. Yeah. <laughs> or we turn the trampoline on its side and make it into a dish, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> 
But yeah, and, and, and so we would watch the USA, and I would see guys like Jimmy Snuka and Don Morocco, and you know, and those guys back then wrestling for you know we we called it New York wrestling, but it was you know it was WWF at the time, you know, and you know, because I when I yeah, as a kid in Philly, I grew up with Bruno San Martino. Right. I mean, I remember seeing Bruno on Sunday mornings on TV. So when I got there, and now here I am coming to that last monocle. I mean, Hawk and I were lucky, man. I, I, I counted the other day. I think we won some different, you know, and I get asked this question all the time because people ask me, Adam, what do you think? Uh, deep, deep, this guy became WWE champion 12 times, you know, tag team champions 12 times. I said, well, I said, you know what? And I said, I've won 16 different belts, different companies, wow. not the same company belt. Yeah. I said, so I've been around the world. And when I, you, you think about that, you go, what the heck, man, you've covered some miles, you know, yeah. but it's a testament to our business. You know, and I think back of it, man, it's 16 or 18 different world championships. And I just go, how can I do it? But it would, you could have done it if you don't, climb this set, this particular ladder, you know, and then when you get to the WWF or WWE, now you're at the big daddy of the big daddies. Right. Yeah. And uh, so when you say you talk about traveling though, what did they, what I can't even imagine what the reaction must've been like to you guys when you went to Japan, oh, because I mean, well, uh, I, I, uh, go ahead. It was crazy. I'll give you a little bit of an example, right? <laughs> Our first yeah. trip to Japan. Now the Japanese followed us around for a year with yeah. cameras. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Inner cities. Inner, have you seen some of the videos, bro? You got to Google the video before the Road Warriors go to Japan. I mean, yeah. we stumbled across a, a deer that got hit by a car that was all covered in blood. So, what do we do? We went and poured ketchup all over the deer. And then, you know, the Japanese would take a picture of the dead deer and they'd take a picture, picture of Hawk and I. And we would have the ketchup and everything all over our hands and our face. <laughs> like, we just put our faces in the dead, yeah. dead deer, right? Yeah. These people <laughs> and, are horrified, was, right? But they can't look oh, away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same with chicken. We would we would be digging in the garbage like because we said we we're for the inner cities, right? So we're digging through garbage cans, and and Hawk would grab this raw chicken leg, and we would be fighting over the raw chicken, and he'd have one leg, I'd have the other, and we would take a bite out of it raw. And Hawk ate sixteen raw eggs in the shell one time, whole. Uh, I mean, on Japanese for Japanese film, right? And these people, and said, you know, the one thing too about you guys, no, I don't think you know people didn't realize the kind the sense of humors you guys had. That how funny <laughs> you were. I mean, how funny Mike was. You know what I mean? Because you yeah. were this big, massive. Oh, they just got to be, you know, monsters. And yet you guys were two of the two of the funniest guys in, in the WWF. Well, I think I think sometimes when when guys see guys that big, yeah, I think all yeah. oh, these guys got to be pricks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. no, because I, they I, can they, be. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we really weren't. You know, so when the Japanese filmed us for this whole year. Wow. I still I still get asked today when I go I still do appearances in Japan. I still get asked today. I almost thought you really eat dead deer? Yeah <laughs> man, it was great, Heck. bro. I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but especially when trip, it's I, roadkill, it's the even better. Oh, <laughs> oh bro, yeah. You know. And then you gotta imagine this, right? So here we are, we're really excited to go to Japan our first time. It's Hawk Paul and I and we, we were working for Gern Vern Gagne and Vern Gagne did the first deal with us, right? And <clears throat> and, and so we're drinking freaking Sapporo beers the whole way. I mean, we, you know, so I got to admit, we were probably half in the bag when we landed. And during all our promos, we would say, uh, we don't care how big the Japanese beer is. We 
drink anything. We're the road warriors. We like Tabasco and beer. So what is, when we land, they tell us to go in the bathroom right away and paint up. So we go in the bathroom and paint up. Then all of a sudden, before we go in there, the one Japanese guy, Wally Yamaguchi, who everybody say your prayers for Wally right now. He's, he had a stroke. He's in a hospital in Tokyo. Um, yeah. Wally Yamaguchi, who spoke English, pulled us aside and he says, uh, Animo-san and Hawk-san and Paul-san, he says, there are so many people here and reporters, they said, you have more than Michael Jackson had when he came to Tokyo <laughs> first trip. <laughs> I mean, we went up to the upper lobby and it was like a hall and it, it there had to be 250 different reporters Flash and interviews. Oh, and what did they have sitting there on the table after a 14 hour flight? Lots of beer with Tabasco. That are the big tall ones <laughs> and freaking Tabasco. And what do they want to see you do when you first land? Uh, Drink the beer in the Tabasco. Oh, yeah. Bro, we were, I'm telling me to tell you something. For the next two days, we were burping and crapping so much oh. that, you know, full of beer, full of Tabasco. I mean, we were drinking, and we would have been smart. We would have poured out the Tabasco and put tomato juice in there, but like big idiots. No, no, we want to be tough guys. Let's drink straight Tabasco. And I'm nice. not talking the mini bottles, I'm talking the big bottles. Yeah. Well, Freddie Blassie yeah, would man. tell stories about the days that he, you know, spent in Japan where he would, they thought he was, you know, this unbelievable monster and he wasn't, Freddie wasn't that big, but he would file his yeah. teeth, you know, and they would just think he was out of his mind. And, and uh, <laughs> he would, I imagine they looked at you. Oh my God. Oh, bro. He, he at, <laughs> you must've had a blast. It was like, <laughs> no, Oh man, it's a blast. I still have a blast when I go there. Oh. I'll never forget, man. One of the most memorable trips in Japan. And it is it, not so much to do with the Japanese people. We used to go to this place and I became really good friends with this guy, Ribera Steakhouse, right? Yeah. Now, if you go to Ribera Steakhouse today in either Gotunda or Mogoroku, you will see on the awning outside, half of the awning on half the building is nothing but pictures of Hawk and I. And the other ha- other awning on the other side of the street, there's pictures of the rest of the boys. This guy loved Hawk and I, right? Yeah. And the steak is freaking phenomenal when you go there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of meat it is. Kobe, I can't Kobe tell you. The guy, or, yeah. Well, I don't know, bro, but the guy was, cooking it looks like Mr. Goodwrench. Or was it deer? <laughs> yeah, it's probably kangaroo, right? Venison. Get it shipped okay. in from South Africa. It's kangaroo. Yeah. But but when we when we became really, really good friends with Ribera, and um, it, it was, it was, you, you acquire these kind of relationships so we ate with the old man at Ribera. He called it Papa Shop because Papa won one and the kid at the other shop. So as yeah. we're walking home through the streets of Tokyo, now you got to imagine, Hawk and I, for the first time, we're seeing these cars. Well, these cars look like matchboxes. They're like mini, mini, mini <laughs> vans. Mini, they're, they're, every car looks like a Cooper to Hawk and I. I said, boy, I wish we would have had these cars lifting bumpers up one day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of, one instead of lifting Ford Ford. Yeah, instead of lifting Ford Focuses, we could have lifted freaking these Mini Coopers, which we could have thrown around. Yeah, you know, could, could have played catch with those things, right? But Funny. so, and we're walking back, and all of a sudden we hear this music playing, and Paul Ellering goes, "Oh, there's a famous bar there that all the American boys usually stop and go to. It's called the Pink Pussycat." We go in there, bro, and who is the biggest guy in our wrestling business that's sitting on the floor there? Because that Japanese lady was his. His girlfriend at the time was freaking Andre. Really? And that that's the first time we met Andre the Giant. 
The bar was empty. I think it was like on a Monday or Tuesday. The bar was empty, and I was in there with his girlfriend, and they're, they're, I think Elvis was playing, because everywhere you went over there, if you're American, Elvis played, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And Andre's and, on right, the floor? Andre's just sitting on the floor. Well, he's too big to sit on anything else. He broke yeah. everything, you know? Uh, right. He was the biggest guy in the freaking country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we go in there, Andre, we met Andre, became good friends exchange respect and everything else sat there for about an hour with him and left and then you know later on in our career we we helped andre against demolition became six man partners for the one match and everything else you know so it was it's funny how it all comes came back around but yeah man beating andre was a classic bro the biggest human being to this day that i have ever shook hands to and shook hands with he was he was a big son of a gun man yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, geez, Joe, we could talk about these stories all day, but uh, and we got to get to the WWF and, and talk about uh, the, your time there. Uh, but before we do, I, I, I want to talk about the science of how you would pick up a body, because it's not like picking up dead weight. You know, if you've got uh, a bar and you've got plates and everything. Uh, but I, I was always amazed of how you guys, you knew how to handle a human body and make it you know, go where you exactly want. Did you actually have to study? Because if I lift it up, you know, the body naturally is going to shift this way. And I've got to, be, I mean, how did you guys do that? Because there never seemed to be any, you know, like if you pick up a body, somebody, and you've got to, you know, constantly shift it to make it, but you guys, it was one smooth motion. How did you well, guys? I think, you know, I think uh, on each body type, you have to look at where, and I would study the guy's physique because I knew a lot about physiques. Or where I thought a center of gravity would be. Okay. It and wasn't always in the adjust, same place. <laughs> no, I would adjust right? my hands accordingly. Some guys, yeah. some guys, my left hand would be closer to the torso. Yeah. Uh, and some guys, it would be on the chest. Some guys would be all the way up by the neck, depending on how big the guy was and how, how light his lo- lower end is with his legs. Like, for instance, when I, when uh, Hawk and I wrestled Tenru and Hogan in Japan one time for WWE, um, yeah. you know, Hulkster kind of, I hate to say this term, dead assed me a little bit, which means he let his legs hang over on the on the back end, so I had to adjust and get more oomph yeah. to my right yeah. arm to get his lower end up because Hulk was a Hulk was a big guy. Yeah. I mean, heck, he was three hundred and thirty pound guy, right? Yeah, folks, so, imagine this: I mean, he's picking up Hulk Hogan, his his body. <laughs> like, yeah, his body, and, and he was not a small dude. Yeah. No, and, you know, sometimes I would have to press a guy and hoist him up onto my top of my head to get him set, then adjust my hands, and then I would give the oomph, and then I would do like four reps with the guy and toss him over. I mean, Killer Khan was the same way. I did Killer Khan when he was 330 pounds and uh, over in Japan. And I believe me, I got psyched up for press assignment guys like that, bro, like I did doing a heavy lift. Because you have to, because you don't know in the beginning what that human, how the human body is going to go up. And we kind of invented that on the fly. At the time, nobody in wrestling was press slamming guys. And then how he, could, how could they help you, it. though? How they, did, you know, they could help you. Like you said, if you dead leg somebody, you're not helping them. So, I mean, would they? Well, you know, I, I knew if, if the guy would do, like, all he had to do was do a calf raise. And I would catch the calf raise as he was going on the tippy toes, and I would just use his momentum. And listen, you got to understand, at the time, I was a guy that could, arm curl 300 pounds so if i could arm curl 300 there wasn't too many guys i couldn't curl and sell on top of my head and press them up 
<laughs> and, and you know, and I was I was a military presser, right? I remember doing yeah. military presses in the rack, sitting down for four hundred and five pounds for five reps. So if I could press slam four hundred pounds over my head, I figured I could handle a three hundred pound guy. It may be a little awkward, but I'll handle a three hundred pound <laughs> guy. And most guys in our business were two fifty to two sixty, not three hundred. A few three hundred pounders, but you know, most guys were big guys, you yeah. know, but not huge, enormous guys like we were. So I knew I could handle the guys I was press slamming. But yeah, man, it was it was definitely we something we had to get down a, a couple times. But it's it just one of those moves that everybody's got a move that's their their signature type move in wrestling and press slams were one of our things, man. Hawk and I just, just took the press slams and it fit right in with our gimmick because nobody else was doing it. And, you know, we said, Hey, we're going to press slam and throw you with the guys we throw on in the bar. And that's what we used yeah. to do. We used to yeah. grab it, grab them and throw them, you know? So, uh, getting back to the WWF here, because we do need to move along here, but I, I'm really, I, I'm fat. I could do a podcast just on that. But, um, oh, when, yeah. when you got to the WWF and he, and, and, you know, a lot of the guys arrived, you know, 85 to, and you guys show up in 90, uh, you got, you had other things going on working with the, you know, the NWA. And, uh, so did you always have your eye? Like we, we want we want to get there. We want to go to the WWF or was, I mean, you had, uh, you know, at the time were you saying uh, we're in a good place? I mean, how did that whole thing happen? Uh, well, I remember, I, I remember in 1988, uh, Vince yeah. had flown us up to Connecticut and uh, had his remote pick us up and we went to his house and um, you know drew up and had the two big great Danes laying in the driveway and everything and he had yeah. the Chinese cook at the time and she made us a delicious authentic Chinese meal and we sat there and talked business and you know we, you know Vince was really trying to get us in and uh, this is pre demolition days right right so I mean, you guys time, were in. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at, at the time, you know, Jim Crockett had already offered us a guaranteed contract, and now, then, now we go to Vince and said, "Well, listen, Vince, here's what we got. I know you don't do guaranteed contracts, but we have this guaranteed contract, yeah. and you're only offering us opportunity." I said, "We've heard opportunity so many times in our career that ended up being nothing." Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you were you were tag team champions at the time with the NWA. Right, I mean, you yeah. had the belts, and yeah, you were you were yeah. On but, top. I mean, listen, I mean, God bless Vince too, man. Vince yeah. was protecting the New York territory, and at the time, and we knew that because we were now ten years into the game, so we already knew the game. And you know, he kind of made a comment or two about, well, we have to introduce you to you guys up here to the people of the Northeast, yeah. and we're going, Vince. We sold out Baltimore, sold out DC, <laughs> uh, sold out this place. I think the people know on us being on TBS who we are. Yeah. And I are you mean, making good not... money? Oh, yeah, we were making great money. You're talking back then, yeah. you know, half a million dollars a year money, you know? Wow. Yeah, so you're not, you got to, you got to, and here he's asking, you know, you're going to go and you're basically going to be working for House Gates. And I don't know how they, you know, they break yeah, down the percentage, man, but that bro, was there. Right? How, how many people are going to do that when yeah. I had three kids, Paul had kids? You're not, not going to do that and just throw away the guaranteed money for your security of your family, right? Right, and so the schedule is not as bad either, right? You're no, not... we, had, we had it for 225 days a year yeah. Okay. at that time, you know? And then, so we had the meeting, and so we, so we went back, and uh, and so we said, okay, okay, Jimmy Crockett, we're going to stay with you and do it. And, to, and then, boom, the birth of demolition came. 
and that whole deal. And then by the time we did decide to come there, we had thought, all right, we're going to have this two-year run with demolition at least, right? Right. Oh, because yeah, that was, so I remember that was, uh, everybody was, uh, you know, couldn't wait for yeah. that. that was, yeah. Bro, imagine the Hawk and I surprise oh. when the first match we wrestled and they have us beat him in eight minutes. Right. Yeah. And Bill wow. Eady and, and Barry Darso was a good friend of mine. I've known Barry since I was 16 years old. And I said, I don't know what he's doing. And, you know, back then we used to call, everybody was called Billy. We were all Billy. <laughs> he was Billy Barry. I was Billy Joe. We were all Billy. I don't know why we called each other Billy. I don't. It was just a stupid thing we did. But it worked. He was Billy. What's what's <laughs> going on, man? Uh, yeah, what's going on, Billy? I said, ah, man, Billy. I don't know what's going on. I thought we'd be wrestling you guys for freaking two years. Now we wrestled you once. Now it's dead. We already beat you. Where do you go from here? And it was was pretty much dead after that, you know. But yeah, and we did. They could have built. Really could have built that thing up for a year, you know. I mean, oh, bro, that was like no. that was almost like a. Andre Hogan deal. You know what I mean? Well, because was Bill was track. Bill ailing then? Was the real Billy, uh, Bill Eady, was he uh, having a, you know, is because that's kind of I, I what people think, put that out there, that he really wasn't, and, you know, and then they brought uh, Crush in. But Yeah, I think one, he had a little bit of an issue, but I don't think it was that bad. Not, we could have still done the deal. Yeah. You know, but it was, I, I'm it was telling you, I remember like, back now, and I, I couldn't, I did, and I'm I, certainly, I wasn't the, the greatest, uh, you know, uh, wrestling mind out, but I was like, what? This thing could have been yeah. awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially in the eyes of us, and the biggest compliment yeah. we had at the time, especially when the WWF fans was in that early part of our career, is that we were considered the, the Hulk Hogan of tag teams, right? And very few tag teams in a wrestling business were main event caliber, which you could sell out of a house with a tag yeah. team. Right. I, because WWF never pushed tag teams like that before. You know, and we were already were that guys, and us coming in there was like a whole different avenue they could have went as far as shows goes. With, I mean, we would have sold out just against Demolition alone. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, with, especially with guys like the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage on the card as well. Man, it was, it was a great time in wrestling, man. And for Hawk and I, that was that was like the last stop we really wanted to make together. And, and make an impact, you know. I mean, I wanted to really get to the WWF and have a great impact and have a long career there and and uh, really make it work. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I tell you, I still I look back and I, you know, I was at that run ninety to ninety two, and I, you know, they, I, I mean, because I remember those years that they couldn't, they everybody thought we got to get the Road Warriors here. I mean, that was the, you know, the, because the, that era of tag teams there, you know, the WWF really would just think about all the different tag teams they had. Uh, and, and, but it was always it, that you were the missing piece that it was, and everyone knew that if they could get that, you know, the demolition road warriors and really, I just never understood that it, I don't know, you know, who was booking it then, or I, I really don't, I don't understand it. I'm sure you still question it today. And then, you know, <laughs> I just, looking at one of the matches and the, and then the ventriloquist, the, the, the dummy that they like, what? Oh God, was, don't I, even bring up Rocco. I, I know, but you know, but you know what I'm saying though? I, uh, that, that to me, I, I just don't understand. And I'm not saying just the dummy, but the way that that uh, that went that run went just still astounds me. You know, it, it, it was crazy when they had us. See, at the time, I think what was happening is uh, we hit on a couple of times. Our gimmick was so strong 
that yeah. no one could believe that anybody could beat us. Okay. And I think the thought process behind the Rocco thing is, well, how can we soften these guys up <laughs> to make it believe that these guys can be beatable and have a soft side to them? And bro, it was so hard when they had us walking through the streets of LA and, and well, we found Rocco all burnt uh, up and like, oh, no, but no, did they Rocco. sit you guys in a room? I just I always think about what that conversation must have been like. You know, fellas, okay, listen to this. It's great. Uh, what we want to do is we're going to have a dummy. We call him Rocco, <laughs> and uh, you know, Paul's going to be carrying him around, and he's going to be at ringside talking. And I mean, I would have just what did that did that conversation happen? Did, was there a when they bro, pitched this? Yeah, to me, you or know, what? my comment. My my comment was, bro, <laughs> what in the bleep bleep are you freaking talking about? Yeah. I mean, like, that's what I thought about, bro. I mean, I really thought about that. I said, you got to be freaking kidding me. Yeah. I said, we're the baddest cats on the planet. We've kicked everybody's rear end in the ring, out of the ring, and you want us to worship a ventriloquist dummy? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, who, it was that a, made, Pat pitch you? Who pitched this to you? Well, I think I think it was a combination of them trying to find out what they could do, and I think I think at the time, Ellering on the side was dabbling into that kind of thing. You know what I mean? With the with yeah, he somehow I don't know how Paul had that control of his tummy. And believe me, sure. that son of the, I told him I said you better leave that son of a bitch on a plane. <laughs> Excuse my language. I said I don't even want to see that doll again. You know and. And uh, it just didn't fit Hawk and I, and it was like the most embarrassing thing. And you know what? The, the best thing about the fans, though, man, the wrestling fans, like we talked about before, is they know. They know okay. the real McCoy. They know when someone's full of crap or if it's a real thing, and they knew Hawk and I hated it. Yeah. And, and any time Hawk and I ever had, got it, ever had to get beat, they go, oh, that's bull crap. Yeah. You know, because... You, so were you it, disappointed in the in the long run? I mean, it was a, it was it, really. I thought you guys were going to be there for t you know the next ten years. Were you uh, yeah. were you disappointed the way that you know after getting there uh, that they just didn't do it right? Well, I think there was a, Sean. There was a bunch of culminations of things that happened at the time, which I think the people need to understand. And if I can explain them to you for a second, I will. You know, when we went in there. Even after we had our contracts with Crockett, we were still the most pop, one of those popular entities in wrestling, right? Yeah. And we went into WWF, and we went in there with the understanding of Vince. So, listen, man, we're going to do this on the handshake, but we're going to do this on the handshake that you know the kind of money we're expecting, and we're going to get it. He goes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And within the first year, we made $100,000 less than we shook hands on. Oh. Yeah. And then after the second year, we made $100,000 less again yeah and it, that's when it that's when the downfall beginning to start happening because you know uh when hawk at the time who we all knew had his issues yeah but when was that starting was, when, when when did you start to notice well, that, that he was struggling well that <laughs> well it. that was hawk always had his problems that i always do i yeah, always really? do that was no secret hawk was the a to z guy and i was the guy that never partied at all i mean that's just the way it was Right. That's why I was a straight shooter, and he was the off-the-wall guy. You know, back at the NWA, there was issues. So we were at WWF now at the time. That's why when 
Ellering was there with the Rocco, with the Rocco thing and everything else. Right. Um, I think if I remember right, Hawk was just coming back from being suspended at one time oh. and just trying to be a businessman. That's why we weren't rocking the boat and doing anything we needed to do to get back in good graces with Vince, right? And, and the company. But after all that stuff and him getting, you know, us not getting paid when we told him to get paid, yeah. you know, Hawks is finally said, man, I, I, that's it. Listen, if you're not going to respect me and do what you say you're going to do with me, I'm not going to respect you. I'm a grown man. And if I want to party, I want to party. You yeah. know? And that's kind of the attitude it took on. And it was kind of like, oh, man. Yeah. And, and then Hawk found out that he was going to be suspended again after SummerSlam 92 or whatever it was. And so yeah. it didn't really matter at that point. Rocco was history after that. So, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And things happen in the reason. But, yeah, it wasn't a fun time. I mean, listen, I looked at it this way. If they would have just think, Sean, you were around there around all those years. You remember when they had the WWF bed sheets and pillowcases? Oh and yeah, merchandise, underwear, lunchboxes, yeah. toys, yeah. yeah. And we were on all that stuff. But if you notice in the pushing of those products, the only ones that were used to push those products were Savage, Yelter Warrior, and Hogan, three oh. singles guys. You never saw a tag team pushing those things at all. Yeah. And if they would have used Hawk and I to push those things like they did with Hogan pushing that stuff, could you imagine how how enormous that could have been for us as a tag team and for wrestling? Yeah. It would have been crazy, but we never had gotten that push like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and also but, but, that was kind of the beginning when you guys were, you know, before you actually started getting a piece of that stuff. But uh, yeah. Yeah, but um, you know, as far well, now as now guys get a whole now guys get a whole chunk of, of the pie. They yeah. get the whole pie before it's even sliced up. Now, so it's a different ball game for the guys now today. Yeah, well, they have you guys to thank for it because uh, you guys laid <laughs> yeah, no kidding, you did man. you laid, laid laid the groundwork. But um, how tough it was was it for you? Because really, you you know, you're a business. You and you and uh, and Mike are a business, and you've got. Uh, Mike kind of losing ground uh, as as you move along here. How difficult was it? And did did you have any influence to try and keep him on the track? Because you know that's that was your that was your uh, livelihood too. Yeah, you know, I we we had numerous talks about it, and I <laughs> tell him, bro, when you do this and you have a suspension, they suspend me too. Yeah, I said I you're, hurt, you're hurting my fa- you're hurting my family's wallet, you know. And he and yeah. I used to have these talks about this kind of stuff. And everything else, and imagine, imagine Ellering and I's face. And I think you were there at the time, if I remember, when we went to after that uh, SummerSlam and Wembley Stadium, which was the biggest crowd-grossing event in the history of the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, something like ninety thousand people outdoors at Wembley, right? Yeah. And then two days later, we had to be in Hershey, Pennsylvania, to do TV. And well. Hawk never showed up. Oh yeah, he disappeared with the came. with the Hell's Angels, right? Is that well, with the Hell's Angels, like he and Nightheart and I think North Berserker <laughs> all were going to get suspended. They ended up in Amsterdam for a week and a half. Oh my god, yeah. And that's when <laughs> you know, they went. To, they went to every pothouse you could probably go to. And, so he missed uh, the plane back, right? Oh, he never came. Like nobody back. knew where so he Hawk was. Oh, yeah, Hawk and I were, I mean, Ellering and I were standing at TV. I'm all painted up. Ellering's ready to do the interviews. 
And uh, Vince walks up and he says, uh, Joe, I hate to say this, Mike just called our secretary and uh, said he uh, he quit. So I said, yeah, you got to be freaking kidding me. And, and Mike, I could tell he was really out of his mind making decisions by then, you know. Right. And uh, so I, like a businessman, because you're right, we are a business. Yeah. I finished out the dates for the WWF. I mean, I finished them out in, in the U.S. Uh, I think you remember they, they put me with Crush for a bit. And I was tagging with Crush. I went to Japan, did some events in Japan on behalf of WWF and everything else. So I wanted to show everybody them that, hey, man, I was pure business, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe you saw a little bit on the writing that you couldn't count on him. Uh, you saw writing on the wall there that, uh, you know, I've got to gotta continue to make a living. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, that, and, and did you see, though, I mean, yeah, but you saw that what the, you know, the addiction, uh, you know, and people, I mean, uh, I've had addicts in my life and it comes to a point where, you know, it's up to them. You could, you can chain them up and drag them to a rehab center and unless they want it, it's not going to make a damn bit of difference. Yeah. So did you, you see you, this you crumbling? Gotta wanna, you got to want it. You got to want to change it. And I can see it just crumbling. I remember you know, uh, the writing was on the wall. Finally, Sean, not after he decided to quit that, uh, when I was finishing up the dates for the WWF, he calls me out of the blue and says, Hey, I made us a deal to go to Japan. We're going to go to Japan in two weeks. He said, bro, I can't go in two weeks. I'm finishing out dates for WWF. Yeah. I'm doing this for us to save your rear end and my rear end because you quit. Yeah. You know, I said, I don't want to leave on a bad note with, with, with these guys. You know, you never know what the future holds. Right. And then that's what he says. Well, then I didn't hear from him. Next thing you know, he's over in Japan tagging with Kensuke Sasaki and they called Kensuke the power warrior. You know, and they were doing that Hellraiser gimmick, you know? Yeah. So, so, so I was finishing out my dates in Japan for WWE, and that's when I worked a match, a two-on-one handicap match, uh, me against both the Beverly brothers, and they slammed me the wrong way, and then I herniated a couple of discs in my back. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I said, okay, well, now it's a good time for me to take time off and run away from the business for a little bit. And, you know, I always knew in the back of my mind, as I, I said, and I used to tell, uh, my family members back then at the time was, ah, they'll call me because this ain't going to last forever. I said, right. the road warriors are the road warriors for a reason together. You can't make another road warriors. Right. Else. The lightning strikes places. And so it's amazing how some people don't, re- you know, they don't realize it. You know, it's the per like the guy that gets that hit show thing. And then, you know, two year two yep. seasons in, he, he's demanding all this stuff. Cause he thinks, yeah, I'll just go on to the next thing. Now what you guys had, yeah. uh, no one else could capture. And go along with what you just said there, you know, about yeah. a year and a half later, he calls me up and says, hey, man, Japanese want to know when you can come back together. They want the road warriors back together. I said, oh, go figure, right? No. You mean the Hellraisers ain't working? I go, you know, I knew that was going to happen. But was he cleaned up and at so, the time? And did he, had he taken some time to get him, himself together or what, or was he bad still? Yeah, you know, he, he, he cleaned up a lot of the time, you know, and a lot of things happened in his life. I mean, on my, uh, uh, you know, uh, on Wednesday on my What a Rush podcast, I have, I'm doing an interview with Ted DiBiase, Million Dollar Man. Yeah. And um, Teddy was instrumental at the time. I'll never forget this. You know, at that particular time, I was getting ready. I, I, I knew I had to make a change for my family, right, Sean? So yeah. at the time, Ted was uh, already Ted was already an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. And he had this big convention in Arizona he was doing. You probably heard of it called uh, AIM, Athletes International Ministries Convention in yeah. Scottsdale. Yeah. It's huge. A lot of great athletes go 
Yeah. I was going to go, I got asked to go to it and Nikita and Teddy asked me to go. So I went to go, go to it. I'd never been to it before. And Hawker called me and says, Hey, Adam, I got a date for this weekend. I said, no, bro, can't do it. I'm going to a conference in Arizona. What kind of conference? I said, bro, you ain't going to want to do it. It's a Christian conference. You're not going to want to go. He goes, hold on a minute. So Hawk asked his wife, he goes, can the pastor bring me down too? And the pastor brought him down, man. And I'm telling you, Sean, I saw Sean Michaels and Hawk who hated each other in wrestling, by the yeah. way. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's some animosities that are true. And those who didn't like each yeah. other in wrestling, yeah. uh-huh. um, hug each other and cry and ask the Lord for their forgiveness that day. And Hawk became a Christian again. Wow. Well, Sean wasn't the nicest was, guy either back then either. So, so to him no, finding Christ, bro, no, yeah, him finding Christ not, definitely changed his life. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so we we did that. Hawk cleaned up. We did Christian events for the next two years with Ted DiBiase and stuff like that. And, and, so when and, when and was really this? Was this was this ninety six ninety? I mean, before you guys or when you came back? And I think you came back to the the WWF in ninety seven. Was this before then? Uh, yes, right, yeah. right before that. But we want to be Bible banging it and, and shoving it down people's throat. Either you want to yeah. listen or you don't, right? right. I right. mean, we were, we were, we were realists in society because you know, being two inner city kids, we were realists, you know, yeah. on yeah. how far you can go with it. And if someone wanted to listen, they said, listen, if you have 10 people and you help one person make the right decision, you did your job, right? And that's the way we looked at it. But yeah, but yeah, man. And then, and then when we when we came back, Hawk had a whole different attitude. That's why Hawk offered, you know, the stuff we did with DX. You know, shave my head, you can beat us, and all that stuff. Yeah. And that whole drunken angle that Hawk did, which I hated as well. Yeah. I despise yeah. that angle because because yeah. to me that was too close to home. Hawk had his issues, and now you're giving him carte blanche to go party and be drunk and act like it on TV. And yeah. Here you have one of the baddest street fighters of all time in our business, and you're letting him act like a drunken fool on TV. And I hated that angle that they made us do on that TV like that, bro. It was it was probably the, the lowest point of my career is when they made us do that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that was it, another it, thing, it, too. Here you, you guys come back, even after the, you know, those first, those, the, that first run, and then this, and like... Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, and I wasn't around and, and, it, but you know, I remember I, seeing it and going, "Oh my God!" I mean, how how does this? Yeah, I, I can't even believe well, that he would he did it. I mean, I I, I don't well, know, you Hawk, know the situation, Hawk, but you know, oh. you know the, to tell you the truth, the first when we were sitting in the room, it was Hawk and I and Ellering and Vince. They Vince looked at me and they wanted me to do it, uh-huh. and I said, "I'm not doing that." He goes, "What do you mean you're not doing that as entertainment?" I said, "I'm not doing it." I said, "I have a 14 year old." Mm-hmm. Right. I have a 12 year old and I have a 10 year old. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it being a pillar member of my society, coaching, giving seminars on anti-drug stuff. And I'm not going to be a drunken fool, make pretend I'm on cocaine and drunk and all that stuff. I'm not doing it. And right away, Hawk, of course, it was just coming back from a suspension, says, Vince, I'll do it. Right. And Hawk did it. Now, was this a Vince Russo? Was he there the, 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 at the time that that? Was this his angle, Vince, Pat? Who came up with this? You know, it, it might. You know, Vince Russo might have been in there along with Vince. Man, I can't remember. I think it may have been. You know, yeah. but it was such a far out, stupid thing that we. Well, it's like they like they, they they like to do that edge of reality or something. But oh man, 
you know. Yeah, well, my first thought was, bro, the Clayton Oswald shot was like, who's the idiot that thought of this? Yeah. That was my first response to it. I didn't, I didn't like it at all. Because, listen, how do you, why would you take someone who's A, number one, two, or three in your marketing sales yeah. for children, for merchandise, yeah. and, and want to screw around with that, who the guys are that were like the saviors of the day. It's like, it's like putting up the bat wings in the skylight and having a Batman come in when you call Hawk and I that equal to be the great equalizers. And then you have us go do something like that. It just didn't make sense. To yeah. Me. Well, I think they had and something was, else too. Like with Scott Hall, even they did something like that where they, uh, poured when he was having it, you know, in recovery and, you know, had an issue, an angle where they poured beer on him or something. I mean, yeah, it just, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that just doesn't. Yeah, man. Well, you know, it makes sense. You know, stranger things have happened in this business, and in yeah. time, yeah. stranger things are going to happen in the future, you know. But for us at that time, being as powerful as we were, it wasn't a good time for that kind of deal. And I think that, you know, it, 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 was, it was a shame that that happened, and it wasn't a good time, and it just sent Hawk over the edge, and it just it just wasn't good. Yeah, it set him back, right? It, that. Well, yeah, I sent him back, and, and then you start getting it into your head when you have those kind of vices that, okay, now they're giving me carte blanche to do this, and then you uh, go ahead and do it, and then uh, you get in trouble for doing it. You know, uh, it's like a it's, it's like a, a, a double-edged sword. You, you're going to get cut either way, <laughs> yeah. you know? Did that, was that kind of the uh, realization that was kind of the beginning of the end? Uh, well, for, you know, I tell you what. For the tag team, we, because... We we thought maybe it was going to be, but then we had one final run where we came in there, and I don't know if you remember, we came in there and wrestled Kane and Van Dam. Yeah, and and we because we we because after this time with the Rocco thing, we you know, and back then and, and doing the drunk thing, we came off, and then now, we there was came an back 03, and I think, right when you uh... no before O three because Hawk died in O three. Yeah. yeah, but wasn't so, you guys made a final? It says you made an appearance on Raw. Yeah, we in, made an uh, appearance on A12, Raw. May 12, 2003. And, bro, and again, when that music played, it was like we never left. It was a standing ovation type of deal. And we wrestled Kane and Van Damme, had a great match. No doubt in my mind, if they would have gave us the titles that day on Raw, which they should have done it, yeah. we could have went off and running, boom, and helped the tag team division in that company go. Yeah. Because we weren't just two guys you threw together. We were a household name. And we still had it. We still looked good. We still worked out and everything else. But you got to understand, at that time with Hawk, he wasn't the old Hawk. Yeah. You know, Hawk had already went through two years of interferon treatment for hepatitis, right? And he beat hepatitis. Then he already went through treatment. But he already had, you know, suffered from uh, uh, cardiomyopathy one time. So Hawk, Hawk had his issues, yeah. but he overcame those issues, and this was like the last hurrah, right? Yeah. yeah. And we had the great last hurrah, and did stuff like that, and it was. We thought, man, all oh, this is going to be great, and for whatever reason, they didn't want to do anything with it afterwards. I think they got ticked off because I think Kane gave Hawk a choke slam one time. They gave it the second time, and we thought we were off the air, and Hawk just got up and walked out of the ring. Uh. <laughs> It didn't lay there and die, and so you got kind of range for that, you know. Uh, but, but I mean, it was, was uh, and the thing is, is like what four, five months later, he was dead. Uh, yeah, did, bro, it was it was did, crazy, man. It, you know, that was. T- 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 let me tell you the most surreal phone call 
<clears throat> a friend of mine, I don't even know Bob Muller, and Bob's from Brooklyn. He's uh, he worked with George Napolitano for the wrestling magazines. He, he takes pictures still for the uh, UK and for Japan and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and he, he, I was home vacuuming my pool in my backyard, and Bob calls me, "Hey, Joe, what are you doing?" Oh, no, no, man, just vacuuming the yard. He goes, "Has anybody called you this morning?" I said, "No, man, why?" Said, he goes, "When's the last time you talked to Mike?" I said, "I talked to Mike last night about eleven o'clock." Said he was wow. packing stuff out of it for his new house with his wife, and you know they moved off the beach closer inland, and you know because of storms, the sand was like sandblasting your house and your windows. He wanted to get away from that. And, yeah, you know they just got a dog and stuff and everything else. He goes, he goes, Joe, Mike died. I said, what? Jeez. And Sean, I tell your listeners, I tell you, I always tell my kids, man, there ain't no shame in a grown man crying. Uh-huh. I sat on my deck, three hundred and. 15 pounds of me all beefed up, muscled up and cried like a freaking baby oh, because of all the ups and downs, Hawk and I had more ups and downs. Yeah. And that was my brother that just passed away. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that hit me and it still hits me when I talk about it. And I talk to fans around the country about it. It was one of the hardest things that I had to go through. And when I told my kids, my kids cried like baby. Oh God! Well, he was like you a know? brother or an uncle, you know. Or well, yeah, he, right? he was. He was called out. He, I'm Uncle Hawk, you know. And yeah. They every time we wrestled in Minnesota, or he was close, or pick each other up, pick each other up from the airport. It was always Hawk, 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 and yeah. you know we were synonymous with each other. I mean, Animal was no good without Hawk, and Hawk was no good without Animal. You know, yeah. that's just the way it was. You know, and. Was he in a good place at the time? I mean, it seemed like he had uh, found Bro, he was in peace a great and, place, yeah. a great pay, place at peace. Um, I think he died peacefully in his sleep. He, 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 you know, no doubt in my mind, after all the stuff he did in life, he was sitting at the right hand of Jesus, you know what I mean? And yeah. up there in heaven with, with all the other guys that had passed away before him. And it's, listen, man. Just think of the battle row they could have up there right now. Oh, no kidding. Up there. Lord, no kidding. Bro, be, oh, the big bad thorns, oh, that's probably why all these hurricanes are starting down here, man. Those yeah. are probably having really, yeah. I mean, a great show up there, you know. But it's, uh, yeah, he, he died in a good spot, man. It's 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 a great day. I Listen, <clears throat> I, I wish I had him around. I, I would yeah. be doing a podcast okay. with Hawk instead of yeah. myself, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so it'd be it'd be really nice to do one with him and uh, have him be a part of everything. But and we would do we could we could do appearances anywhere we wanted to still. Yeah, and you know, you talk about all those guys we've lost, and I, you know, even just the period. I, you know, I was there for five years, and it's you know in the '30s when I, I remember one day I was, you know, somebody had sent me this book about wrestling legends or something. I was looking through, and he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. Uh, you know, because there's it, it was a hard life between you know. Uh, not just the physical beating that you took every it's like getting in a car wreck every day uh what that did to your body but then what you would have to do to keep it going and it and um, you know it's a, a major toll uh but how did you get through it how did you uh get past those temptations because uh, a lot of them you know they took things because they had to get up you had to be somewhere you had to get to the gym you had to go to sleep at night and how did you survive that yeah, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a big pill guy, and I wasn't a big cocaine or party guy, and I wasn't a big drinker. Uh-huh. I didn't drink hardly at all. You know, I guess coming from that sports background with my dad, who was so disciplined in it, 
I grew up and your body's your temple, you know, and yeah. Yeah. You know, you can be careful what you put in it because it's going to affect you later on in life too, you know? And, and I loved the gym. And then I also had the three young kids You're and right. I could see in my kids. I mean, I knew right away. Well, and all my kids were young. I saw oh, this kid's going to be good in this one. This could be decent. Oh, this kid's going to go pro here. I, I pretty much called it. And, you know, listen, when you have a kid, you hope your kid grows up first of all, to be a great member of society. Yeah. If, 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 he, if he can be that 1% that makes it to be a pro athlete, even if it, I think it's got to be even lower than 1% of, of humanity that makes it to be a pro athlete, well, then, damn, God bless him, you know, and let him have fun doing it. Because it's a short-lived career doing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you, you just want a kid to be a good member of society, and whether he's a, a doctor, policeman, newscaster, or whatever he is in life, you yeah. want him to be a good at what he's doing and, and give it a hundred percent on that. So I tried to install that into my kids, you know, and, and my son, my son, Joe's a great police officer right now. And, you know, James did great in his sports. And my daughter, yeah. Jessica's a great, she's like one of the top interior designers here in Missouri. You know, yeah. it, don't go at it halfway, go at it 150%, you know, and, well, I think, uh, I, I think in a lot of ways you're like me too. You know, uh, I mean, I grew up, my, my, my father was a, uh, you know, alcoholic and, ter- and, and I, I, as a kid, I, I remember thinking, you know, I never want my child to ever look at me. I never want to see that look like what I would look at him. And, uh, you know, so to, that's what, uh, when, whenever I might've thought of doing something stupid or like that, I would, I would just think in my head, what if my son was there looking at me? Uh, and, and I never wanted to see that yeah. in his eyes. And so, uh, you know, it seems like you you knew that from the beginning that you were never going to disappoint those kids. Well, you know, it's 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 my dad always told me, Sean. It's you are who you hang around with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was a big thing. You know, like even now, right? I mean, listen, you have this great podcast that's going on. I have mine now. The the, the Water Rush podcast that I do. It's on STL dot com. I do it with a guy named Joe Roderick, right? And yeah. Joe Roddick was one of the voices of the St. Louis Cardinals mm-hmm. and credibility is a whole big issue to me. Yeah. I'm not just going to do a podcast with some Joe blow. I don't know. I want to do with somebody that's in the business, in the sports world, in the entertainment business, in with wrestling knows the stuff before I'm even going to do it because I can't afford to what I've paved 30 something years to do in this wrestling business to do it halfway and to do it with somebody that I don't think has got credibility. So when right. I got asked to do it, I had to make sure that, okay, this is going to be good, let's do this, let's iron out our kinks, and let's have it rock and roll in a minute. I'm so happy to do it now, bro. That, and, of course, I, when I do it and I say the name every day, you know, you know, welcome to What A Rush Podcast as your host, Rotary Animal, it brings back a little bit of Hawk with me. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, he's and with it you. it gives it that, cred- that comfortability and that credibility. So uh, we have a blast doing it, man, and it's it's a good time, and, and then it leads on to things like this, man, to do your podcast. And I've heard nothing but great podcast stories with you. You know, I mean, you know, Hacksaw is a good buddy of mine. And some of the guys yeah. you've done your show with him. And I know, I know what's great. I know all these guys. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you, know you must I mean? look back. I hope it's a you know, point you have been able to look back and you, and you think about uh, all these people that have crossed your path. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Steve Austin and, uh, you know, the, these guys, other guys you've met in the ring. It, you might uh, and other people outside of this what it's brought to you in your life uh, you, i hope that you've had a chance to look around and say wow 
what a rush. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, really. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the positives tremendously outweigh the negatives on yeah. what we've experienced in wrestling, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I know we, we touched on just a little bit of some of the negative things, but man, if you look back at our conversation today, 99% of those oh, are positive. Because there's great stories, and there's great things that happen. I mean, you know, from the early years to the mid years, even to the end, I mean, even even to getting inducted in the Hall of Fame, which was crazy cool. And, you know, people remember when Paul Ellering put that Hawk action figure on the podium. Yeah. I mean, if they would have had the camera on me right away, bro, I was starting to cry like a baby. Because, you know, yeah. you have 25,000 people in the Army in Atlanta or 28,000 people going, Hawk, 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 yeah. Hawk. You know, because that's where Hawk and I started in Atlanta, you know. And it was just, it was just cool to feel and you could feel Hawk spirit floating around inside that auditorium. And, you know, it's, uh, at the end of the day, bro, so all you can do is, is hope you didn't burn any bridges and hope you had great relationships in life and in your experiences and, and, and really respect some of the people you come across in your life, man, because it's, it's what shapes each and every one of us. Our, our daily experiences is what shape us into people we are today. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, you know, nine going. to five, you know, you weren't one of those nine to five people when you look back and you, you know, every day was something different and interesting. <laughs> Bro, every know. day was an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 and I wrote my one book, uh, Road Warriors, Danger, Death of the Russian Wrestling. And if, if, if you haven't read it, read it. That's but Medallion I, Press, I by the volume. way, folks, you can get it at Amazon. I'm sure you can find it at, uh, uh, a lot of these uh, book outlets online. So it's <laughs> oh, the, Road Warriors, I, I Danger, write, Death, and the Rush of Wrestling, okay? <laughs> yeah, but I, but but anyway. I write volume two, three, four, five, yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and yeah. you don't know, really get explicit. And the people would go, there ain't no way that that happened. No yeah. way. And I'm saying, bro, I'm telling you, it's the truth. No, they wouldn't believe it. Some yeah. of the life experiences that we've experienced is, are just freaking so out there from saving someone's life, from choking on their own vomit, to having the greatest match you'd ever have in an auditorium. It's just from one extreme to the other. You know, well, I'm sure it, if they it, tune in to the podcast, they're going to be hearing some great stories. Give us, <laughs> oh, like, tell yeah. us the yeah. I tell think, us everybody can find it and what the what the name of it is and where they can find it, Joe. Well, man, if you can go on uh, stl.com slash podcast, and it's called What a Rush Podcast. With my co-host Joe Rados and myself, Ron Warren Animal, Joe Warrenitis, and it's great. Uh, we 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 download it on Thursday mornings, and um, it's a great time. We talk about we talk about the wrestling business, of course, and it, it's probably ninety nine percent about wrestling stories because we let the fans write in and, and ask us what questions they want to hear, yeah. and what events they want to hear about. We just we just did the story on the I think we have two hours and forty minutes on the DX paper review. You know, the wow. whole thing was basically about DX in 90, 1997, which is one of the most historic pay-per-views of all time. And we, we get to dabble in some of that. We dabble in a lot of behind-the-scenes stories like you do yourself. And we get to have a lot of guests on. Like, you know, I've had Paul, Precious Paul Ellering on already. I've had, uh, I'm getting ready to do a Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, I'm doing on Wednesday of this week, you know, to help you know, promote his new movie coming out. And stuff like that, you know. I got the NASA boys coming on already scheduled in the future. And, you know, I was talking to Billy Gunn a little bit about, you know, the DX days and stuff like that. So 
we try to, we're, you know, we're, we're rocking and rolling on it. We're trying to get it going here. And the fan following has been phenomenal. I mean, the, yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, how did it not be bigger. with all the fans we got out there, you know? Yeah. So it's so, stl.com. They can find, they can find STL, it. Right? At, yeah. STL.com slash podcast. It is one of rush podcast. And you can also contact me there too, as far as, booking and speaking engagements, or you can contact me on my Joseph Michael Lauren. I have a Facebook page and private message me too. But yeah, man, I love doing the podcast work. It's, it's a different venture for me. Yeah. And you got some dates coming the, up? Yeah, man. Uh, wrestling dates? Yeah. Because the people mm-hmm. always love to be able yeah, to come the, see you in person too. Yeah, man. Hey, the, the, the 26th, I'm in Belvedere, Illinois, which is right in the Rockford area. Look forward to getting back to that great state of Illinois. I love the wrestling yeah. fans there. Then I'm in uh, the 27th of this month of December. I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. It's always great to get back to the Badger State. Wisconsin is close to Minnesota, close to home for me. And it's always great to see back the old AWA stomping grounds there in Madison, Wisconsin, man. So it's going to be great to see great fans and we're going to put on a spike shoulder pads, take some photos, get, you know, they get eight, eight by 10 pictures and get their cell phone pick with me. What a great screensaver to have. I always go there painted up. Believe it or not, I still got enough hair to grow the mohawk, and I paint my face every time. And it, it, it's a great experience for the kids, and it's not only good to see. You know, it's great, Sean. At this point in time, you get to see twenty-five, thirty-year-old men turn into twelve-year-old boys, <laughs> and they, they want to get they those spikes the on. on. Yeah. Oh yeah, bro. remember we had those foam rubber shoulder pads when they were kids? Yeah. Well, now they get to put on the big boy shoulder pads that are growing up, and then their kids get that same excitement which is just freaking awesome. I, I love it, man. I tell you, I couldn't tell you how much I still enjoy it, you know, and, and things like that. So yeah, it's always great to get around the country to see great fans. All right. Well, John, man, it has been a, a great conversation today with you and folks, uh, as he mentioned before, he's got a lot more to tell, uh, be sure and tune in and take a listen to what a rush with road warrior animal, Joe Laurinaitis, and you can catch it at uh, stl.com, right, Joe? Yes, sir. STLpodcast.com. Okay. All right, man. Well, I'd love to have you on uh, again down the road. Uh, I'd love to stop by here sometime. Let me know anytime. I'd love to. But uh, really, I I, uh, had a blast with you guys when you guys were the WWF. You were the, it is all about entertainment. And man, you guys were entertaining. Thanks for coming yeah, on, John. Thank you, too, bro, man. It's been a blast. What a good time reminiscing old stories, man. Yeah. You forget about those days. And, Sean, I got to leave it the way I leave every every interview I do. If Hawk were here, you know what Hawk would say. He would say, oh, what a rush.